podcast in the world from WWE to DNA Impact by way of the NWA. It's time for Reffin' It Up with legendary referee Brian Hepner and guest host, Mr. Reffin' Rant himself, Jimmy Corderas. An all new episode starts in this. Is revving it up. Welcome back to Revving It Up. I am the man with the magical voice, RJ. He is the Reffin Rant himself. Ref to Chef, the one, the only, Mr. Jimmy Corderas. Jimmy, how you doing, man? Doing okay, hanging out here in Canada where it's a little bit chilly, but today's going to be sunny and a little bit, well, not warmer. Let's just put it, it's supposed to be uh, <laughs> normal temperature for this time of year. Let's put it that way, which is good. <laughs> right. Well, hey, it's better than being here. We got a nice, nice uh, nor'easter coming here in uh, upstate New York. So we've had pretty much been snowing all day here. So, uh, but that's what you get for I, living in this area. But yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> But someone who's looking forward to short season because he's going out to the diamonds with his daughters. The guy in the stripes himself, Mr. Brian Habner. Brian, what's up, bud? Not a lot, fellas. How are you all this evening? And uh, excited about this is a it would be an understatement. I've been really waiting to get Mr. Kyoto on. And um, but off subject here, this daylight saving time is kicking my ass. Uh, <laughs> I mean, literally. I mean, normally when we record this. It's dark outside. I have a heater running. Well, I have nothing going on right now. Just nothing but light. Y'all can see this ugly face bright now. Uh, yeah, but geez, I don't know why we just don't keep it one way. Why we have to flip back and forth between daylight saving times? Why? Mm-hmm. Well, there well, is talk move, about move. about removing it. Yeah, they have been talking they about could. that. Yeah. yeah, let's be consistent in our lives with something. Well, Arizona's like that. Arizona doesn't follow it. So yeah, that's right. That's right. They, so, they, they don't observe daylight savings time. So yeah. they, they, they move back and forth from, uh, I think it's uh West coast to ma- mountain, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Coast they go basically different Central. time zones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. no, it should be probably mountain. It's probably so mountain you, to West coast. So what you'd fly there and it would be a three hour time zone and a certain time and then a four hour time zone. Different. Two. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. we go back. Go ahead. Jim. I think it's three or two. Three or oh, two. Three or yeah. Two. Okay. Yeah. Because four would be, I think four, that's like Hawaii, I think, for the four-hour difference. No, Hawaii is five, isn't it? I is don't it five? Know, man. I have no idea. Well, you can hit us up on social media if you want to, uh, you know. There you go. <laughs> if you know. But with that being said, guys, let's get this show on the road. Let's send it up to our first count. This is your one count. The last two weeks, we've had a couple of announcements as far as the inductees into the WWE Hall of Fame. Last week, we had Rey Mysterio be the first inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame. And then this afternoon, as we're recording on Tuesday, we have the great Muda was announced this afternoon. Gentlemen, um, obviously, we'll start with Ray. Jimmy, you worked with Ray quite a bit as much as Brian, too obviously this is rightly deserved obviously right not not just deserved but earned uh you know Ray in the hall of fame it obviously makes sense it's just very uh 
odd choice to do it while he's still technically an active wrestler on the roster. Usually you wait for someone to, to, uh, nobody really retires from pro wrestling, I guess for, mm-hmm. for legit, <laughs> but, right. uh, you know, at least, you know, somewhat calls it a career. I'm my only concern is I, look, don't get me wrong. Like I said, he earned it. He deserves it. He should go in the hall of fame hands down. No question. But if they use this as an angle during the Hall of Fame ceremony, uh, mm. I will not like it. Uh, separate that completely from from the business side of it and let him have his recognition and his moment. You know, you can do an angle afterwards. You can do an angle involving his, uh, you know, Hall of Fame induction, uh, but not during the Hall of Fame. Let that be completely separate, in my opinion. I actually think that, uh, Jimmy, you're spot on. And I think that after Monday Night's Raw, it already looked like it was going that way, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, like you said, would absolutely suck, in my opinion, too. Because it's, a, you know, this is something that he deserves. And that not only deserves, but like you said, earned. And for it to be tied into a storyline just takes away from what really it should be for him uh, as, a, as a performer. Also, if you just think about that guy's, what, 5'5"? Five, 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 four, something like that. And I'm not trying to be ugly when I say this, but I'm saying, but man, you talk about fighting against the odds. I mean, and and doing what he's done is just simply, simply incredible. And so deserving. Like you said, Jimmy, um, I hate to just stomp on everything you just said already, but my God, it's just, um, I'm excited for him. I know that, uh, you know, Jimmy, you know, his family was around backstage for a lot of his career when we were there. And we know them. Dominic was a little baby uh, and a baby boy. It's just it's just crazy to watch these kids grow and how fast they grow, especially in front of your eyes on TV. So it's kind of cool. But this should be a really cool moment for them and his family and not 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 a storyline. You're right, Jim. And and, and really quickly, if I could just jump in here and something you said was very interesting, Brian, is that. uh, You know, obviously you look at race size. He broke down barriers in the WWE. He opened doors for uh, talents that would not normally get looked at at his size because back in the day, WWF slash WWE was viewed as the big man's territory. So he did break down barriers and, 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 you know, set a path for others to follow. Do, Do you know, do you know who I think, and I'm being dead serious when I say this, do you know who I think was responsible for bringing Rey Mysterio in? John Laronitis. That prick. Uh, it would seem right. Yeah. He was the he was he was very high up when when he got the, when we got this transaction. Because I remember him talking about it to me about it. And um, a lot of people didn't really know, you know, Ray Mysterio because just simply they were not as big as the WWE at this point in time. But uh I know he was a big proponent of it and wanted to bring him in and just was a huge fan of Rey Mysterio because I remember sitting backstage at a house show and he was just explaining to me because it was me, him and Jamie Noble and just mm-hmm. sitting around talking about, you know, Rey Mysterio, the man, the myth, the legend, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of right. crazy, but I don't ever want to put Johnny Laronis over because, you know, <laughs> whatever. But uh, he obviously, you know, was, in my opinion, the main reason why I think Rey Mysterio got there. Mm-hmm. And you're still a prick. Well, if, that, if that's not going to make – if uh, nothing else during the show makes the sheets, I'm sure that would. Anyways, oh. uh, but I, you you guys brought up the whole the angle with, with Dominic at WrestleMania. Obviously, he did challenge him last night. Ray declined. Obviously, it's going to 
my money is obviously it would probably happen, but how would you, would you keep Dom away from being on camera? Would you keep him backstage? Cause obviously he wants to be there for his dad mm-hmm. and, no, I think, still, and still I think, keep, and still keep face or heel, whatever you want to call it. No, I think you go out of character and you, and you do it like you're supposed to do a ceremony. I think that you, you can do it and still not make it. In other words, you, you forget about the story. If you do it right, you forget about the story. That's his father. His father's being inducted. Listen, wrestling fans aren't idiots anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to do it any other way, to me, is just injustice. I mean, I'm not saying he should just be going over the top, but, you know, but he should appreciate it and be out of character. He should be his son like mm-hmm. he is and really get to the moment like I think a son would be. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just think that that's it's so hard. Like Jimmy said, it's a, it's a tough situation. It's nothing that you could just. I don't know, man. I don't know how you do it without doing it properly, in my opinion. But I don't know. Jimmy, what do you think? No, I I agree. I'd like to see it happen like it's supposed to happen where he's sitting with his family and and enjoying the ceremony and, and, you know, appreciating and respecting his dad's induction. Uh, If you were to do it in an angle sort of thing, maybe not have Dominic sit like right beside his mom and his sister, so to speak. But then again, again, that takes away from it and it makes it feel more storyline as opposed to real life. You know what I mean? And yeah. and you're supposed to be able to suspend disbelief when you're watching not only pro wrestling, but whatever TV show you're watching. Mm-hmm. And that's what wrestling is. It's weekly episodic television. So and I know Jimmy, a lot of fans out there hate that term, but it, it's basically what it is. So, Jimmy, let me ask you this. This this works for me. Let's see if it works for you guys. You had the ceremony. He is with his mom, his sisters. He is emotional. He's all into it like he would be. And everybody thinks, okay, that's that's the way it is. He's getting over. He understands what's going on. Well, you have Ray finally shaking people's hands, going backstage. And then there you have Dom and beats the shit out of him and says it was all fake. He put on a da-da-da-da-da. And then that carries it into WrestleMania. But you still get the real deal that happens in front of everybody. We all think we're getting it, which we would get it. But then we see him say it was all fake. It was all dumb. He didn't forget him. I'll see you tomorrow night, whatever it is, or the next night. I mean, I think that would work more than just kind of like acting like, I don't know, man, it's just so tough. The only the only thing is, uh, I, I wouldn't have it physical. I'd have it in the back, and Ray, you know, h- hugging his wife, hugging his daughter, going to give Dom the big hug. Dom looks at him. Nothing. Just nothing. Says, Walks away. You won't face me at WrestleMania. I won't face you, and turns his back on him. The next inductee to the WWE Hall of Fame is the great Muda. Obviously, somebody that you guys didn't have there in WWE, but he was predominantly and very popular in WCW and NWA. Had a lot of great um, matches with Ric Flair, Sting, what have you. Uh, Jimmy, great Muda. Uh, he's just retired now, so obviously this is going to be the first, one of the first ones he get inducted into. Uh, yeah, and it is a good choice, despite the, uh, his limited, if any, involvement with WWF slash WWE back in the day. And I think it's a good choice to have Ric Flair not only announce it and maybe induct him, because to the fans who are not educated on the career of the great Muda, Flair is a good uh, ambassador who could put over how big his career was back in the day. Yeah, right. uh, definitely another one deserving. Uh, what a legend. Uh, the Muta is the great Muta. And uh, I had a the the pleasure 
an honor of working with him uh, several times in Impact. And it was awesome. It was just awesome. Really, really was awesome. And uh, what a nice guy, man. Uh, people don't understand that. He's a very, very quiet and weird kind of uh, eerie, quiet guy. Kind of sits in the corner. He has his own little stable that comes with him and in and out of the arenas. Uh, I even think he has people that dress him. Um, really kind of bizarre. But, man, what a career. And, and you're right, Jimmy. No one can teach us better than Ric Flair in the United States. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Globally. Yeah. yeah. You know, somebody else that had a great career was the undertaker. And he actually had made an appearance on the Ariel Hawaii, Hawaii show. Excuse me. Hawaii. Hawaii. I can't pronounce it. I guess we'll take two. Okay. Ariel Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii. There you go. Ariel Hawaii show had, he brought in the undertaker this past week and, uh, he, Undertaker made a comment. I want to get your guys' thoughts on this because you both worked with with Taker quite a bit. Um, He said, quote, a lot of talent don't understand any concept of protecting a character or even developing a character enough to want to protect it, end quote. Uh, Just live it a little bit, he says. Uh, Man, spot on, right, (laughs) Jimmy? How do you argue with the dead man? The dead man knows what he's talking about. And that's (laughs) what this business has been based on. For the last hundred and whatever years, for as long as this business has been around, it's been based on stories and characters. People get invested in characters. You can do, don't get me wrong, high spots are fine when done in the proper context and not done, as I like to say, trying to stuff 20 pounds of potatoes in a 10 pound bag where you just keep doing it and doing it and you don't sell it and you don't let the moment breathe and you don't let people get invested in what they just saw. People are doing these moves just to do them because they can. That's not the reason to do it. You have to, in the sense, in the storyline context of telling a story during a match, fit it in, but at the same time, sell it correctly, let it breathe, let the fans absorb what they just saw before moving on to the next big spot. But uh, like, like you said, the, the dead man <laughs> kind of knows what he's talking about. I think, yeah, a little bit. I think he does. Yeah. Uh, he might know a thing or two to teach these young snappers. Uh, but, you know, another thing, Jimmy, in defense of some people that really do actually know about it, it's these promotions that don't give it time. You know what I mean? They, they don't give time for characters to actually physically be what they want it to be. Um, and I have a few stories on that, but I'm not touching on that. But I'm just saying, but I know a few guys that just weren't given proper time to really get their character over and, and we're complaining to, be, to me about it. You know what I mean? But overall, he's right. They don't understand the concept of getting a character over. You're right. And he's right. And how would he ever be wrong? Nobody, nobody's going to question him. That's your damn sure. I wouldn't. Uh, no, you won't <laughs> nope. catch it out of here. Uh-uh. No. no. But something that we are going to protect with every ounce of our energy is reference review with our special guest. Mr. Mike Kyoto. This is Ref and Review. Everybody's favorite segment, and we have a special guest this week, gentlemen. For the first time in 20 years, we have Jimmy Corderas, Brian Hebner, and Coyote himself, Mike Kyoto, for the first time in 20 years, are on the same wavelength, in the same place at the same time. Mike, welcome to the show, man. 
Man, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it, RJ, Brian, and Jimmy K, man. Thanks for having me on the show, brother. It's, it's great to be on, and man, let's rock and roll this show, man. Man, this is this is bringing back some memories, some sure um, th- flashbacks of some car rides with the, with the, <laughs> the, the Chimmel. That's right, <laughs> you know, the Chimmel. Like, my goodness. So, yeah, but refereeing, with, with us three, what we've accomplished in the WWE, it's like we're like the three fucking musketeers right, right now. I so. hear you, bro. Absolutely. Yoda, what's up, buddy? Thank you so much for joining, bud. I was man, very excited no, about this. Man, thanks for having me, Brian. No problem, man. No problem. It was great seeing you like six months ago, too, at the end. Yeah, yeah so man. Awesome, awesome seeing yeah. you, man. So, uh, rep and review this week. So, we're going to basically, we're going to ignore this week's events, which is really still hard to do because uh, there's so many fucking things that go on. Right. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to take this platform when, with, with, in my opinion, two legends. And I want to sit here and talk and debate about today's oh, refing, today's maybe lack of refing. I want to get views and opinions from both you guys on where the state of this refing part of the shows is done. So I want to open up with you, Mike, since you are the, the guest. And would just like for you to maybe just enlighten everyone where your views and opinions are on today's refing styles or whatever it may be you want to mention. And I'll open the floor to you. Man, that's a that's a, that's a fantastic question, Brian, because um, I've noticed the quantity of the referees are there and available in the WWE, but the quality is not. I mean, if it's not for Charles Robinson, Chad Patton, hold down the fort, uh, you know, with many years of experience and a few other referees as far as, you know, Dan Angler and so many other guys, but um, there's, you know, the quality of the referees is is definitely down. I think they're just, uh, they're bringing up talent too quick and too short of time, like from the, the PC center to the main roster. Um, they're trying too hard, too fast, too quick, just to generally have these referees really learn. I mean, to really become a good referee, man, it takes time and it takes a lot of experience, a lot of matches, you know, you got to get thrown out to the wolves. And I don't see a lot of these young referees that are being pulled up, making these main events and making certain other title matches or, you know, quality matches that are put on the board for WWE. Um, AEW, uh, you know, they need some work. I, I really think, that sometimes with the social media and everything that's out there, it's it's more about look at me and who am I, you know, instead of worrying about the quality of work that they're doing. I just think they're um, it's the more out like Chief J Strombo. I remember Buck and Jack Lines of Chief J were the agents, and I was just I wasn't even on TV yet, probably about 88, 87, 88. and I come back, I start. You know, slapping some fans' hands down the aisle and stuff like that. And who do I got waiting for me at the end of the fucking at the uh, aisle at the um, gorilla position? And it was a <laughs> house show. It was fucking Chief and Jack Lonza, right? And then they look at me and they go, "Are you in fucking business for yourself? <laughs> Are you trying to, or, or what are you doing? What, what are you doing out there?" I said, "Oh, would the match not go right, Chief? It was a fuck finish too. It was a fuck oh, finish. Bro. I didn't see mm-hmm. the tights and all that, and then." I'm slapping hands on the fucking way back and everything. <laughs> ever, ever since that day, ever since that day, I was never in business for myself. You know, like 
I knew what he was, and he and had this long, drawn-out conversation for like 15, 20 minutes, him and Jack. Don't, don't ever fucking slap hands back on a fuck finish. You know, the, who the fuck are you? You just come back with the fucking heel, and you get your ass back here because we don't want the heat put on you. You know, and you're out there glorifying yourself on a fuck finish. You know, and ever since that day, I fucking learned because it was it was old school. It was Chief, Jack Lanza. They were on me. And, um, you know, I just think these referees are more, you know, they they oversell themselves too much. They sell in the ring on every little bump. Yeah, of course, we all sold bumps in big spots. So whether it was Shane coming off the fucking cage or this one, you know, you know crazy ladder matches with the Hardys and all the other shit. We, because, I mean, when you've seen a spot like that, that was your fucking natural reaction. Right. But it's like every bump I see in the ring now, everybody's jumping and going, oh, whoa, whoa. You know, like. Not to cut you what, off, Mikey. No, but what's your what take, the, Jimmy? No, 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 not my take. Just no. what you're saying is you're spot on. Because, right. uh, you know, when natural reactions to big bumps, and that's what it's about. Uh, you know, right. referees nowadays, you see them selling. Like if there's a big punch thrown, they're grabbing their chin like they got punched. Like they got punched and, and hurt. Right, yeah. right. And and if you watch back in the day, when you see two guys come to the middle of the ring and do a face-off, you don't want to yeah. see this in the middle of it. No. You no. back off. You can be on the side a little bit out of the picture. Right. You don't want this big head in the middle. And no. the one thing you said, too, they're trying to get themselves over. Right. It's like I was taught back in the day, like you were by guys like Chief. Of course you were. Right. How many people bought a ticket to see you tonight? Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? And here's our biggest thing, Jimmy. How many how many tickets do we comp and how many tickets do we sell as referees? Yeah, we always exactly. Don't. Anybody referees who came don't to fucking see you, sell yeah. tickets, right? That's what it, that's 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 what Jack said. Anybody who came to see you, you got a ticket for. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Jack you know, was a shooter. Lonzo was a shooter. So was Jeep, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think, you know, and Kyoto, me and you both talked about this when we were in Chicago. Um, right. Where Where's this discipline that we used to have? Where's the discipline where somebody would walk up to you or myself or Jimmy going like, here's the perfect example. I go to my first overseas tour mm -hmm. with WWE in the UK. Right. I go out the little side curtain to take a look because I'm excited and all that. All of a sudden, I see fans that recognize me, and I'm like all fucking big-headed and thinking I'm some shit, and I ain't nothing. But I'm over there, and I go over there, and I shake their hands and give their autographs. Well, who's looking through the curtain to see what kind of crowd's there? The fucking Undertaker. Oh, shit. <laughs> Taker. <laughs> yeah. So I walk back, and he basically, in a nutshell, without going crazy, Told me I was a fucking idiot. Get myself fucking backstage and shut the fuck up, basically. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and you know what? He's so told me that quite a few like that, you know, that, that, that ain't there anymore. There's nobody there to reprimand these guys. And I think that, like, there's nobody that says, hey, dude, stop selling so much. Or, hey, your, your, your cues are the shits. Or, right. hey, your false finishes are fucking horrible. I'm, I know when the finish is because you're selling it, like, only for the finish. Like, it's just... That those days where we have to be reprimanded are gone. Who's doing no. it anymore? And, and that's what I don't understand with AEW. You know, I know they're doing it WWE. I know they're tightening down. You know, they, they, you know, the WWE cares about the wrestlers. I, I and I know they care about the referees and important matches and everything else and and their show. Referees are so important in one way to them, but not in another way. Now AEW. Now, you know, there's a lot of freaking old school talent down there and old school, 
agents, producers, uh, you want to call them, uh, you know, that to me, it's like, you know, Dean Malenko, Arn Anderson, God bless Arn Anderson with, with his recent tragedy and his family. I want to put that out there um, to him and his family. My condolences to Arn and his family with his son. God bless. I know what he's going through. Um, but you have Arn Anderson. You have Tully Blanchard. You have Dean Malenko. You have a ton of agents down there that are just, and they're old school and they know. Oh. And I don't know, I don't know how they're not putting more heat on these referees, you know, like, yeah, when I went down to AEW, I think maybe one one guy asked me, one referee asked me to watch his matches and, you know, kind of critique it and stuff. Was it Scott Turner? Uh, yes, it was from Pennsylvania. Exactly. Paul Good Turner. Yep. Paul Turner. Paul Turner. Paul Turner. I'm sorry, Paul right. Turner. That's it. I Scott Paul. Yep, it was <laughs> Paul Turner. And he's a very good referee, very nice guy. And they were all very nice. Don't get me wrong. You know, they were all respectful and, you know, and everything. Everybody was. But I, I think it was just uh just him that asked me, you know, when I was down there quite a few times to look at his matches. And I and I did and I critiqued, you know, but you know, I wasn't gonna go look at their matches for the short periods I was down there here and there and then tell them, you know, because maybe I didn't I didn't think they really wanted my input. If they wanted my input, all they had to do is ask, like a lot of other people do, you know, in the business. So um, you know, it, to me it's just I, there is, there's gotta be some more of um you know, you're not in business for your fucking self. And I don't care. I don't want to see referees wearing watches, fucking earrings or or anything like that. And it's not a personal shout out to nobody. It's not a personal vendetta against any referees. But, you know, there should be no fucking wearing chains or anything, you know. And a referee, you know, um, should be a clean cut guy if you're if you're a man. Of course, you're a woman, whether you're putting your hair up or whatever. I understand that totally. That's ponytail or whatever it is that's fine but a man should be clean cut and just you know facial hair no facial hair and you should be you know just you, you call the matches down the fucking center i see some referees i've been on the indies that, that look like fucking talent they got tattoos on their arms and, <laughs> and they and they look like fucking a wrestler you know i'm like that oh. stuff I'm like, that stuff wouldn't fly in the wwe but it wouldn't fly sure. in the wwe you know? right and you, it's funny you mentioned something because you know uh, I ended up with the goatee as the right. only guy to basically with facial hair back in the right. day. But that was right. because um, I went to JR and I, this was when I was getting married. Right. And, you know, wanted the goatee for the wedding. Right. So I went to JR and I told him and he went and talked to Vince and Vince says, you grow that goatee the day you shave it off is the last time you have it on. Oh, no so shit. that's why throughout the rest of my career there, I had the goatee because I knew right. once I took it off, yeah, I mean, you and Tim White were the only one that really had facial yes. hair, right? That was it. You and Tim yeah. White, mm -hmm. that's it. And well, and, you, I, know. you know, and and, and I'll, I'll say this: you know, the thing is, I think it all goes back to to Jimmy Kyoto. Y'all remember? You remember how many hours we spent in an arena at the ring going over our shit? Oh yes, mm -hmm. yes. Those days are gone, man. They're gone. No, yeah, they're gone. I, I've I mean, been to AEW. I've been to yeah. AEW. I watched the right. shit go on. Right. And, and and guess what? They were too busy doing other things. Listen, these 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 referees at AEW, they I think some of them like book flights for the guys. Mm -hmm. Um they do. Bryce think, does that. Yeah, Bryce yeah. does that. Yeah. I, I think the girl uh um, she does dot com stuff and yeah, office yeah, yeah, yeah. work. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, they have other things they're doing. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem, man. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't, 
I don't think it's the problem because, I mean, they're basically, I just don't, you know, you guys know as well, experienced referees, right? Um, You know as well when a, a certain spot is going to bury the referee, you know, you always got to put your input. You know, I don't know if these guys have that many years of experience or that much respect to put their input in, but, you know, either an agent could tone down, a, um, you know, uh, some high spots where they're not just sitting in there for 20 to 30 seconds while everybody's running around doing high spots and everything like that. I mean, but you, as a referee, and I know a lot of the talent, uh, the former FDR, what are they called now? Um, the, the tag team. FTR. 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 Revival. 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 Um, so, I mean, those guys and so many other guys were like, oh, my God, Kyoto, I can't. Oh, my God, love to. I hope you get signed, man. We need a referee that fucking needs to know where the heat belongs, not on the referee, on the fucking heels. And Tully Blanchard was saying this, and everybody else was putting their inputs. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get signed. So, I mean, you know, it was just a, uh, hey, you know, we'll use you and come back every once in a while, whatever. Sure, no problem. Um, can we tell you, Gil, can we tell you why you're not there? Why is that? On a full-time level? Because they're intimidated. They don't want your input. You know why they don't mm -hmm. want your input? Because they think that they know it all. That's the mm -hmm. problem with today's right. younger, upcoming yeah. crop of referees or right. lack thereof. They right. don't want they don't want the input. And believe me, I've tried. I have. And right. I know you've tried. Right. I'm not going to beg you shit. I'm not right. begging you to get information. If you don't want the fucking information, then keep doing your terrible shit you're doing now to embarrass what we've all built. Right. You know and we mean? and we have built it. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, you know, so I, I, I mean, there's ways that you can, you can, as a referee, and if you're an experienced referee, you could protect yourself. You can protect yourself when they're going over the fucking match four hours before showtime, you could protect yourself in the meeting with the, you know, standing out there for hours. But that's yep. the thing. Like, like you said, Michael, the, the problem is nowadays it feels to me with, <clears throat> I'm not picking on one company in particular, but right. there seems right. to be one company in particular where the referees almost like enjoy getting the heat put on them. Right. And right. the referee, as you guys know, I don't have to preach to you guys, but I'm preaching to those who are listening to our podcast right now, that the referee's job is to help the talent tell their story without being the story, unless there's a spot there that involves you, like exactly. a heat spot or something like that. Yeah. It is not about you. No, it's not. And then it's exactly, yeah. you're exactly right, Jimmy. I mean, there was so many times, just like I, I iterated with coming back after a fuck finish and getting heat with, you know, oh, I was always taught when a fucking heel goes over, pulls the tights or anything goes over, feet on the rope, you raise his hand on the outside real quick and you start walking back with the heel and you get at it, you get at a dodge because you don't even want the baby face going. You didn't see that. You didn't see that, you know, in front of the crowd because then it starts to put the heat back onto the referee instead of letting that heel walk out with the with the victory and the heat, you know. Um, to me, it was always stupid, you know, over the years, it'd be a fuck finish and a screwdrop and then they'd play the fucking baby faces music on the way out. Well, you just didn't even leave that arena with the heat. You left him <laughs> happy and fucking clapping to the baby face, leaving the arena. Like, mm -hmm. like what about the 16,000 people in, in the arena? Forget what's on right. TV. I get it. We got our story over on TV, but let's leave that shit still with the 16,000 people. But it was always about making the crowd happy. We used mm -hmm. to do that where no music at the end, the fuck finished and you would leave 
with quietness and the heat, you know, right. to the people in their minds. But uh, it has changed. And I, and I'm going, Kyoto. I'm I'm going to go with you on this because I've actually touched on this before in previous podcasts. Right. I really believe you're right, man. I really believe the lack of experience is where this intimidation factor is. What I like to call it right. comes into play, where you see it, you 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 hear it, but they don't protect it because they're scared to say it or scared to take up for themselves. And that's something that I know I've seen you do. I know I've seen you, Cordares, do. Right. I, I just know that. It, it, it's it's just a fundamental breakdown where it, it's just them either a not caring b not afraid or afraid to show up and say you know i'm gonna pull my pants up and say this is not gonna work or how is this gonna work because right, right. now it looks like it's gonna bury me you right. know what i mean and, and there's yeah, a lot of and, things and like sorry to cut you off mike no, yeah, it's like you said no it's like you said we used to get with the talent and not just go hey what's the finish Right. Okay. Thanks right. a lot. Whatever. Right. You'd sit there. You'd listen to them go over the match. You'd get, you'd, you'd get. Oh, they'd go over a spot, and you'd kind of interject and say, "Hey, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you don't mind me asking, what do you want me doing during this particular right. sequence?" Right. Um, and if they, if it sounded like that they were doing a little too much, uh, is there any way you can tighten that up a little bit? Because I don't want to look like I'm just standing there with my thumb up my ass. Bass. Right. And you're yeah. fucking exactly like, you know, Jimmy. Like there was things like I was telling, you know, when. When you there's a heat spot and there's a tag team, the guy's you know gonna knee the guy in the back of the ropes while he hits the ropes, right? Well, I want him on the other side of the pole, not the yeah. closest side of the pole, not the one side of the pole to where he all he has to do is move over one step and fucking knee him in the back and go right back to the corner. I want him on the other side of the pole because that felt like a wall to me. So, and if, if I had my back turned and a guy in the, in the heel on the tag team came around that pole, then need him in the back. And then got right back around to the other side of the pole where he was at. And then you look at him and you go, holy fuck. It, it makes it like just to create a wall. It looks like such a distance. But guys will do something to somebody and just stand right there and expect the referee not to believe that he did something. You know, it's certain he ways. used to be sneaky. Yes, yeah, sneaky. They, they used to outsmart the yes. referee as opposed to make him look like the, you know, wearing this dark glasses and tap. You know what right. I mean? Like as a heel, loses loses if you must, but by all means, cheat. You know yes. what I'm saying? Exactly. And, and I love when Eric, Eddie Guerrero used to say that. You know, oh. like uh, he used to say that all the time. And uh, you know, he was the best at cheating. You know, he was phenomenal. Yes. So, you know, um, and another thing, Kyoto, you know, and, and and maybe you'll agree, maybe you'll not. And Jimmy used to as well. Uh, like, the style of professional wrestling has changed dramatically. Yes. Yes. And this is why I feel like it's more important now for a referee to actually really work hard to figure out their match because there's fuckers flying all over the place. And flying all over the over the top ropes, through the oh. rope, over. Like, you know, and you know, he used to hate that as much. And God bless him, Pat Patterson. He'd be like, why can't the fucking talent stay in the ring? What the fuck? Mm -hmm. You know, he'd, he'd be like, I need the talent to stay in the ring, have a good fucking match, <laughs> notice flying and hiding. <laughs> And then they get back up two minutes later and they just fucking run around like they didn't sell anything from the big fucking bump and spot outside, mm -hmm. you know. Like, mm -hmm. But Pat always knew, man. Pat knew, you know, and he knew how a heel should get heat, you know, and how a baby, baby face should sell too. Um, it's just so important, you know. I mean, there's so many ways you could work with. And this is what I'm saying. Like, not only a referee should be trained, but a referee can help a good referee and experienced referee can help the talent work with the referee. Cause a lot of talent doesn't know how to work with the referee to get heat. Mm -hmm. They really don't. Yep. Like, 
not only to tell the referee, I, we got to get the talent to be on the same page because I need the talent to know what the fuck to do and how to put the heat on themselves and putting the heat on you, you know? And and, and I'll say this, uh, you know, us three, for all you listeners, aren't trying to bury today's talent. No, no. As far as no, referees. No, We're trying right. to help and make this better for everyone. Right, and exactly. It, it, it's, it's because it's bad, because I've been reached out by other people and it was even on Twitter when after, you know, Kyoto was announced to be coming on the show, I had wrestlers retweeting that they couldn't wait to hear three guys that knew what they were doing because that is a lost art at this point and right. phase of the of the business. You know, we're not my... but it's just it's out there and it's obvious. Right. And, you know, um, even with some talent over the last few years or so many years and stuff. I always like talk to talent when I go down an account because a lot of new talent was coming in, you know, over the years. And I've always, you know, when you're counting a false finish and you're counting, you have to be on the same page. You know how many guys have their, they're laying on the mat and they got their eyes closed and they're fucking, and they're turning their head, the eyes are closed and the crowd's fucking loud. And I'm always telling this talent before the match, like you got to watch me when I count on these false finishes because every referee has a different cadence. Right. I'll pick up and I'll pick up the fucking speed sometimes if it's a schoolboy or a fucking roll up. Absolutely. You know, and I'll pick up the speed on some false finishes coming down towards the end. Don't make everything a fucking two count from the beginning because your false finishes aren't going to make any difference. If you're pinning a guy at two in the 30 seconds of a match on the clothesline, you know, let let wear that guy down. Wear the talent down before you get to a two count. Mm -hmm. You don't always have to kick out at one, two, kick out in the beginning. You know, make it a one count. Then you gradually get into your two counts on your false finishes sometimes. Make just make sure more. you, you know, just make it mean more. Make it, you know, like build it, build the drama up to where you're wearing out now. You're 15, 20 minutes into the fucking match. Now you're barely kicking the fuck out. Yep. Um, and I always used to tell a talent to kick. Every time I'm like, you ready? If it was a big false finish, get ready. And I'm talking to one, two, and I'm like, kick, whether it was seen or anybody, you know, like, because, right. you, you know, it's, and a lot, half the times you didn't know if the boys' heads are fucking, you know, concussed or their <laughs> bells rung and shit like that. So you want to be on the same page because if you're not, they're gonna fucking make you look bad if you're counting on the false finish and they don't move their shoulders. You know what I'm saying? But here, here's the other thing, Mikey. Too, not only that, but you have to be where they can see you. Right. And right. what was Vince's big thing all the time? Head to head. Position yourself where you Position. can see both shoulders. Yeah, Kevin always bitched one, about that. <laughs> yes. No, because sometimes sometimes you'd have to block a camera in order to shot. get yourself around. Your ass but was that's in why shot. that's why there's three handhelds at ringside, two you know, right. hard cameras. There's cameras everywhere. They can get the shot. And that's what I, I used remember, to say. Yeah, it's like I got I got in trouble. I, I got one time I did a false finish where I slid out of the ring because they were parallel with the ropes right and i counted on the apron one right, two right. kick out and i got back in i get back to gorilla and vince pulls the glasses and he yeah. gives me the old come here so why'd you slide out of the ring on that on that count i said well vince i couldn't see both shoulders and if if i would have counted from inside the ring then the talent wouldn't be able to see me counting right answer all right then that's all he said he said all right then push the glasses back up and he just threw it away. and i said and then briscoe looks at me and goes 
you know, the thumbs That's up. That's it. Yep, yep. I mean, it's yeah. exactly it. Positioning was everything Kevin Dunn would bitch, and then I'd say, well, fucking let Marty Miller and fucking Rico get a better shot then. Let the, tell them to be on their, <laughs> on their fucking A game. You know, hung over as they were, and then fucking cameras four hours, six hours up there, but... <laughs> You know, so, Kyoto, so I had a I had a situation kind of like Jimmy's. It was kind of funny that uh, he mentioned that I had uh, had a match and I don't remember the match. Like, I don't remember anything. But uh, uh, I think it was the Undertaker and somebody. But anyway, um, I took this hellacious bump. It was fucking awesome. I was really proud of it. Right. Um, and I ended up counting. Kind of to the side, but not to, quite to the head. Right. Um, and. As soon as I was done, I mean, as soon as I was done, in my earpiece, it said, come back and see Vince. And I'm like, fuck. I know, right? So I walked back there. And, and Jimmy, you were there because I, I, went, I remember I came to you about this because I was so upset. And uh, and he took his headset. He slammed it on the table and he said, why the fuck weren't you at his head? And I said, well, I couldn't quite get there because I don't care. I want you by the head. If it takes you longer to get there, then get there. I and I said, well, I just took a good bump and I did. You don't get the head. You don't have a job. Yeah, right. But it's been set back on and I and, and didn't even look at me. And I walked the fuck through Gorilla and thought I was done. Right. And I mean, you know, that's the shit, though, that makes a good referee a good referee. Shit right. like that. Right. You have to I mean, fail before you become any any better. You know what I'm saying? You have to fail. That's what learn. I mean, I yeah, and I'm just dumbfounded. Like, and you know, even with WWE, I think it's more about okay, let's get these women up to the main roster because we want to push the women, we want to push this. And I get it, you know, I get it. Yeah, but are they ready? They may not be. Um, will it take them quite a few years? It took me quite a few years to really become an, an experienced referee. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking, it probably. But it took me into the late 90s, into the 2000s to become a, and I started refereeing in 87, I want to say, and debuted on sure. TV in 89. Wow. So, I mean, you know, before I, I'd say about the early 2000s, I was really experienced at that point. But it took me quite a few fucking years to get there. So let's not get too far ahead, okay? Real quick, right. because we're going we're gonna to cover you. And here's what we want to do. We've had the longest refing review in the history of our podcast, which I fucking love because we have it with Jimmy Corderas and Mike Kyoto. Any podcast, you beat that. Suck oh it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so now we are going to move on and we're going to cover the career of Mike Kyoto in our second count. This is your two count. And we're here at the second count. Mike, man, you mentioned that uh, you started with the company there, WWE in 87. First got on uh, on TV with the uh, uh, company there in 89. One of those towards the, really in the heart of things there. You know, you had the golden age there in 85 with WrestleMania 1, 2, 3, and then obviously here in 89. Right. Man, how, we, we, we talked about Andre last week and just impact that he had. You're getting here in '89. You you got Hogan, you got Savage, you got Warrior, you got Andre. Mm, oh yeah. How coming in here? How intimidating were those guys coming in here as a referee and trying to say, "Hey, you got to control these guys," so to speak. Right. Oh, it was fucking phenomenal. It was unbelievable. Um, I started in the company in '85. I started refereeing in '87. Made my de debut refereeing on TV in '89. Yeah. Uh, 
working and seeing these guys. And when I used to work the ring for Gorilla Monsoon when I was 15 and 16 in the summer times with Joey Morella and all that, and we used to work local Spectrum in Philadelphia every Monday in the summer times at Wildwood Convention Centers with Andre and so many, you know, Tony Gurria, Rick Martell, uh, Paul Roma and all these guys, Big John Stud on the card. It was fucking unbelievable. Like you see the Big John Stud and Andre, and then you see these jacked up guys, and you're looking at six foot seven, seven foot guys. It was just, it was fucking amazing. And wrestling wasn't always my thing. You know, I was I knew Gorilla Monsoon very well. He was a very good guy to me because I was friends with Joey Morellan and, and his sister Valerie. Um, and then growing up in a business, starting there in the summer times, man, it was um, it was amazing watching all them. And then you had Macho Man and you had the Hulk Hogan's and and the, the Ricky the Dragon Steamboats and the King Kong Bundys and all these guys. And it was just unbelievable. You had Afa and Sika and just it was just a it was a circus, but a circus that was well performed. And it's very a, into a physical business that was choreographed. I don't know how, you know, it's a hard way to explain it to tell people, you know, it's not real. I, I always hated that that um persona and the perception of that business it's not real because it's so fucking physical the business hmm. and um and just to let alone what they do in the ring let alone the traveling and all that other stuff um and then coming up you know from 85 86 87 which i wasn't a part of wrestlemania as i did some crew stuff and driving trucks to local things to drop off stuff but i wasn't really a big part of wrestlemania until four and five into new jersey so um that's where you know I had some big parts and actually I do have some old school turnbuckles from that WrestleMania four and five. I actually sold a couple. <laughs> so, oh, oh, so you I got, did. Yeah, I got I got one from six, which you you. Well, uh, they're worth they're worth yeah. quite a bit of fucking buck, Jimmy. So <laughs> yeah, I know because you know, six was here in at the Sky Dome in Toronto. Sky Dome. So, you know, yeah, I had I had to have one from there. But, right. Uh, you know, you, you talk about it almost parallels because I started working for Jack Tunney when he was affiliated with WWF at the time right. up here in 85. And I started refing in February of 87. Wow. And wow. the only difference was um, Jack used to travel to TVs mm -hmm. as president of WWE. Yep. Yep. And when it was it, within driving distance, he would have me drive him and Billy Red Lions. Do you remember Billy Red Lions? Oh, of course I do. Yeah. It, I do. Drive them to the TVs. And this was at a time where uh chief had told me carry your ref gear with you at all times because you never know and all times that's when i started uh accidentally refing on tv in glens falls new york oh wow you yeah, know that's in, that's in, why I, that's where the fuck i was up upstate new york with chief mm -hmm. and them and chief said he's called me dynamite kid because i blew <laughs> myself up with a fucking <laughs> stick of dynamite so <laughs> and, yeah i fucking yeah, well, where, I, where, wait a minute where, where did dynamite come from uh, South uh, South Carolina or North Carolina when you used to drive the trucks, we bought all kinds of fucking, you'd be able to buy firework, you know, down mm -hmm. south, but you couldn't buy them on the northeast because they were illegal. So I'd bring them home in the truck, you know, and I, back in them days, you had the real M80s, the real fucking half sticks of dynamite. You had the real <laughs> coys of everything, man, you know? Wow. And um, I blew myself up one day and I came back to work, man. I still had fucking like scars all over my face. Like, like chicken pants. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was the fucking gravel from the ground that blew up. It was embedded in my face. I had to get them all picked out, like in an emergency room. So like he called me Dynamite. <laughs> and yeah, right? And and he said, you know, Dynamite, he goes, um, I'm tired of, uh, he goes, go out and get yourself a black pair of pants, a blue shirt, and a bow tie. He goes, tomorrow night, you're going to be refereeing. 
I said, what? He goes, yeah. So, uh, let Joey help you out with a few things and get, you know, whatever, get what, just bring that stuff, get it tomorrow. Make sure you have it. Cause I'm tired of these New York state commission referees. And that's how I started wow. refereeing. Boom. So Kyoto, um, you check with Gorilla Mont soon. Got back What's to me that? and said, yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> so Kyoto, uh, I, I know that me and you have gone into great conversations throughout our career together about Joey and your thoughts on Joey and all that stuff. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and I know you live close to the Morellas, you know, right. talking about Gorilla and, and, and Joey. Right. Do you do you give credit for what you've accomplished because of your friendship with 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 them and living close to them? So, in other words, if you lived on the other side of town, do you think this would have happened for you? Um, we we live five minutes apart in the same town, Willingboro, New Jersey. Grew up to get you know. Um, I give them two hundred percent credit. You know, Gorilla and uh, Joey Morella for getting me started in the business and Victor Quiones, um, we used to run a ring crew for gorilla at the time. This is when, uh, this is when gorilla still owned a spot from, and we're used to work for Vince senior and do, you know, the, uh, he had a certain territory like Bruno and certain guys had certain territories everywhere before Vince just sucked all the territories up. Um, I give them a lot of credit and, you know, being friends with Joey and just watching him do his thing, and especially, um, in the late eighties when Joe used to do his thing and give me all the, uh, not just about refereeing, but how to fucking handle yourself with the boys, make sure you shake hands, you know, do this, don't stooge. Like Gorilla Monsoon used to always tell me, don't ever fucking stooge on anybody. If you <laughs> have to stooge mm -hmm. to enhance your career in this business, then you're not doing your fucking job right. Go get another fucking job. That's right. That's one damn thing I never did in this business was stooge. My father taught me that being an Italian guy, don't ever fucking stooge and be a, you know, a fucking Mark, you know, and, you know, knock out and still shit like that. So I don't wait a minute, Kyoto. You stooge me off on the plane overseas when we smoked in the bathroom. What? <laughs> I probably stooge myself out too. <laughs> you you stooge yourself out, but you also included me. Motherfucker. <laughs> Well, oh, they fucking are... knew it. They knew everything we were doing, bro. I don't know if I stooge you, but I mean, if I I didn't stooge, I probably got stooge myself. Fuck, believe me. <laughs> but you we guys were smoked, doing it right. We all smoked in the bathroom, smoked marijuana in the eighties and nineties. You know, before nine eleven came around, it toned down. You know, so. But um, you know, getting to my point with Joey and watching Joey, knowing Joey did, you know, he did the what the whole Kogan fucking Andre match when, you know. Hulk Hogan, Andre passed the torch to Hulk Hogan. And Joey tells me the story on what went on with that. And he really didn't think that Andre was going to do it for Hogan. He didn't think he was going to let Hogan slam him, you know, because like, you know, Andre wasn't telling Joey much at all, you know, and Andre loved Joey. He liked Joey a lot. Um, and in the incredible matches that he's done through his career, all the way up to 92 at Wembley Arena, Wembley Stadium, I'm sorry, Stadium, with 82,000 people between the Bulldog and uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. That was a phenomenal match, 40-something minutes, 42, 45 minutes. And what a fucking crowd, what a match. And just seeing Joey do his thing, you know, throughout the years before he passed, God bless. Um, you know, I, I always look up to Joey. I got his picture frame still right here. You know, um, uh, to be honest with you, Brian, you know, the first referee I, I think that should go in the Hall of Fame in WWE is Joey Morella, man. You know, and uh, I know there were some Dick Whirlies back then and there's some other guys and, 
some Roger Ruffins and all this other stuff, but, uh, you know, back in them days. But to me, Joey should be in the Hall of Fame of WWE, the first referee. No doubt. No doubt. And uh, me and you talked about this as, as well in uh, Chicago. Yeah. Um, yeah. there, there, there's no respect for fucking us, man. No fucking respect. And, it, you know, we can't sugarcoat it because how many years have gone by where there's guys that Joe Morello, uh, Earl Hebner, Dave Hebner, yeah. uh, yes, Dave Hebner. I mean, Tim White, I mean, it just, you know, and, and with, you know, Dave Hebner and, and with, you know, Earl Hebner and that spot that they had on Saturday main event when I was, you know, I was crew then and all that stuff. That was the fucking, that was a phenomenal spot in wrestling, man. That was a phenomenal story. And just with a lot of things and what Earl had to do with the Bret Hart match and, you know, with, with his back up against the wall, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I don't know why we don't get that much credit, you know? But, and I got to tell you, Mike, we were blessed. Yeah, we were. Back, especially back then to have guys like we just mentioned, like right. the Earl and Dave Hebners and like right. the Tim Whites and, and you know, to... to to be a sponge and to learn from. Right. And right. and you mentioned Gorilla. Gorilla was also someone who would, you know, not only to you and to me as well, would ever say, you know, Jimmy, come here, you know, uh, when this situation uh, arises again, maybe you should think about, you know, doing it this way and see if this works better for you and stuff. Right. He never, he never said it. You're wrong. Right. You're doing it right. wrong. He said, maybe this would work better if you did it this way. Yeah. You know, he was, he was, for lack of yeah, a better term, he was like a father figure. Yeah, he was exactly, and you know, um, you know, it was one thing I remember him saying to me, Jimmy. We were set, we set the ring up one day in some house show, um, and I'm out there and the ring's set up, and I'm bumping with Steve Lombardi, Barry Horowitz, and they're soup, they're snap suplexing me, and I'm, I'm fucking bumping. We're doing all this shit, and I'm like, oh, you know, I want to be a wrestler. You know, I'd love to, you know, like bump and shit. Gorilla was fucking at the show, and he. I come back and, you know, after it was like only it was a couple hours before the show and he's standing there and he goes, what what the fuck are you doing out there, Mike? And I said, well, I'm just playing around, bumping with the boys, girl. Like, you know, he goes, what did I tell you about refereeing? I said, well, no, I, I said, I understand, sir. I'm just trying to learn how to bump because referees don't take fucking snap suplex, Mike. Referees don't take this kind of. He goes, you want to learn how to bump on a referee spot or learn how to bump and you shouldn't be bumping like the boys. And that's fine. He goes, and what did I tell you about longevity, about refereeing, like Joey? I told Joey. He said, longevity in this business is refereeing. You can have a 10-year run. You could be a certain guy like this guy and this guy, have a good 10, 20. He goes, it's only going to be about maybe 5 to 10% that will have a, a 25, 30, 35-year career as a wrestler. They don't make it that long. He goes, but a referee, there's longevity in being a referee. You'll last a lot of years. That's you that, you know what? You know what, Kyoto? You know, I don't know if you know the story or not. And uh, I won't go into it deeply because this show is about you, not 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 me. Obviously. No, it's all good. Right. It's all good. But you know, there was a time where this beatbox thing that I was doing was taken oh, yeah. off good. <laughs> right. Right. I and uh, like I remember being approached. I'm, I'm being dead serious. I remember being right. approached about being the manager for John Cena. Mm-hmm. And doing the beatbox with no live music. The, the live music was going to be me beatboxing and him coming down. Mm-hmm. So you have two white boys yep. doing acts of rap and beatboxing. Yep. yep. And of course, my but that eyes, ain't heat. <laughs> right, right. And my eyes and my uh, 
money signs were like going out of crazy. I was like, fuck yeah, this is gonna be fucking awesome. Da, 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 da. Right. Well, the undertaker caught heat of this and called me to the side. And he says, uh, so what's this? I'm hearing that you're being offered maybe a managerial position for John Cena. And I was like, Oh yeah, take. So it's, this is that I get to beat box, get to go down. You're talking to a classic down. rock and roll guy there. Heb. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he, he, he says to me simply, he goes, are you out of your fucking mind? And I said, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, you're a fucking referee. That shit will last fucking six months at most. And then what are you going to do after that? You're going back to your trailer? Mm. And I went, um, why would it not work out, Tate? He goes, you go ahead and do your way, and I'm just going to tell you how you should do it my way. My way is this. You're a referee, and you're a good one, and you'll be here a long time. Fuck that shit. Right. And I said, okay. And guess whose advice I took? You took takes. The dad said, man. <laughs> <laughs> the godfather of the business. You were involved in a big moment too. Like I think maybe this might have been one of your bigger moments back in uh uh it was 1996. Nope. 93. I'm sorry. 93. You talking about kid? No, 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 no. No, no. Oh, talking okay. about 1996. Okay. No, there's, okay. so there's so many of them, RJ. We're going to have to go through the years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. So 1996, though, you you were bringing up with the Earl and the uh, uh, Dave moment and all that stuff. But you were involved right. in a big moment, too, where you had uh, the British Bulldog and Shawn Michaels back in 1996. Do you remember that moment where the Earl Hebner was knocked the fuck out and uh, you had to interject yourself and come into that match where you counted um, Michael's shoulders down and awarded Bulldog the win, but the, the Michael's shoulders weren't down. And then Earl crawled into the ring, and it was a double count. Do you remember that? Where you awarded one the winner, he awarded yeah, the other. Yeah, yeah, I kind of remember that. I kind of remember that. Kyoto, you're I, worse than me. I know it's bad and shit. I'm trying it's to like I try it to tell. It's like I try to tell people. You know, these ref bumps take their toll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think me and Kyoto just got fucked up. And can't remember shit. No, it's just oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna have to, I'm gonna have to Google that one. We'll do that on part two. It was, okay. uh, it was it was actually in, in your in your house eight beware of oh, dog in your house pay per view yeah no oh, well, okay. uh, it was for the WWF title at the time all right well nice yeah. feedback all right next no next. <laughs> okay I got I got I got a, I, I didn't got a, I didn't know I was involved in board matches in ninety three like that <laughs> if we're if we're moving along I I still remember this was in ninety nine as we mentioned earlier when we were talking. Uh, after my wedding, when I came back again, not trying to make this about me, but you're you're involved in this, Mikey. Where when I got back from my honeymoon, you guys were doing the referee strike angle. Oh God, I know. And I and I did this. I, you know, when I came back, Hunter, I jokingly said to me, "Hey, Corduroy, welcome back." You know, uh, too bad you're out of a job. And I said, "Hunter, I just got married. I can't afford to go on strike." Ha ha ha. Like right, this, right? Because right? right. I thought I was going to join you guys on the picket line outside. Right. I you know. know and he went, ha ha, come with me. And he took me to JR and they brought up th that I joined the scab referees. Right, right. And then we did that pay-per-view where uh, the six-pack challenge where you guys all came down and dragged me out of the ring. Right. Earl throws a punch, knocks me down, and then I get the boots put to me. But one of you guys was really putting <laughs> yeah. some... 
let me put it to you this way left some uh left some uh marks behind let's put well, it that I'm, way i'm glad you bring that up because i learned how to throw ki working kicks back then let's put it that way i do i do have some amends to make and some apologies and yeah no, i'm but sorry jimmy do you, do you <laughs> remember wonderful. i did i did get you back a little bit I, it was a couple of weeks later uh, we were waiting in Gorilla, and there was a ring, a match going on in the ring, and we were going to go down and do the pull apart. Right. And as we all were running down to the ring, I was strategically positioned myself behind you. And as we got close to the ring, I kind of gave you a little nudge from behind, and you went into the <laughs> ring apron, and you shot me this look, and I thought, oh, oh, we're going to go right here, and I'm not ready to fight. <laughs> no, That's I remember. Funny. That. And Mike's in Mike's New Jersey too, so he'll. Oh my God! Man. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I know I felt so bad with the kicks and all that shit. I go, oh, I know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Or like, and lay it in, make sure it looks good. Don't make it look like shit. I'm like, oh my God. Well, what's, what's, what's funny about all that is that before you even got into your story, Kyoto was going, "I'm sorry, Jimmy. I'm sorry, yeah. Jimmy." <laughs> he knew where exactly. I was going right away. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I know it. There are definitely some amends and all that shit I gotta make oh, <laughs> over the no, years. With my stiffies receipts. Speak, speak, <laughs> you ended up you ended up having a match though. You were involved in a tag match, were you not? Right. Yeah. Chris yeah. Jericho and the Dudleys yeah. was phenomenal and Rock yes. and and um Nick Patrick. And uh yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure I stiffed Nick there quite a few times <laughs> too. I gotta make my amends to him too, whatever. What the <laughs> yeah, but you but, got uh, to do the, the ref's elbow. Yeah, it was awesome. It was, man. And I was, you know, during that match, I remember Bubba going during the day. He goes, Kyoto, if you don't sell that fucking clothesline, and I mean, you fucking sell it. You're not one of the boys, Kyoto. You better sell that son of a bitch all the way. <laughs> you know, if you don't sell that fucking clothesline, you're going to get it from me. You know, you know, Bubba, man. You told him, no way. Bubba would never say that. Right, right. <laughs> oh, no, but never. Bubba, but was on point though. He was fucking on point, you know. So I remember he gives me this clothesline. And I'm fucking, if you notice, man, when I'm doing the people's elbow and I'm doing all this and I'm looking at rock, I sold that motherfucker. I held my chest all the way to the back at the end of the fucking night, you know, all the way to the end after the match. And he goes, then in the locker room, he goes, Kyoto, what the fuck, man? I said, What? He goes, I said, what, you didn't like how I sold that fucking clothesline? He was like, no, you sold too much. I'm like, what? What the fuck, Bubba? I was like, what do you mean I sold too much? He's like, Jesus Christ, you didn't have to hold your fucking chest the whole fucking rest of the night. I'm like, wow, what the fuck? Hey, I'd rather oversell and not sell, all right, Bubba? You know, we laughed that's a, but, that, but that's a no-win situation you were in, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, now you've fun. oversell. Wouldn't you rather have oversold and undersold? Damn right. <laughs> yep, exactly. And that, that was one, you know, I never knew, I'd, and I don't know what other referee has really been a part like that. You know, it was a six-man tag, and it was an exciting night. And, you know, to look back at it now, and you look at this match, and you watch it over once in a while, and you go, damn, I was fucking a part of, like, here's a guy in Hollywood now. He's reached his high fucking limits in Hollywood, The Rock. Mm -hmm. You know, the Dudleys are phenomenal and icons and legends in this business. Nick Patrick coming from, you know, a referee from WCW over to us. And then working with fucking Chris Jericho, who's still working, still kicking it out there. Mm -hmm. It's phenomenal to be a part of that. And just, you know, it's it's all, it's amazing how you've done all these matches over the years of my career, Rock and Hogan, Rock and Kurt Angle, WrestleMania, and all these other matches, and Ben Juan, fucking Eddie Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero, and this one, it just goes on and on. And you think to yourself, God, I, I never knew that some of these matches would be icon matches. I was just going in there doing my job, you know, like, 
and it, it just it's great how people appreciate all that oh i hear you and 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 because you brought it up i i, I hate sorry guys if i'm skipping too far ahead but you no, brought sorry. it up you brought up hogan and rock mm. at wrestlemania totally. here in toronto in my hometown yes, that you sir. got to referee and be part of one of the greatest still in my opinion one of the greatest moments ever yes in yes. the history of this business they did absolutely nothing, nothing. to stand there that's it. And the place went absolutely banana. Banana. And, that was, and, and you know how you know how everybody is. We're always in the back watching the monitor. Yep. I snuck out into the tech area so I can see it live. See, see it live and feel it. Feel it. Out there. Right. I have, I can't remember feeling anything like that. I know. And, and I, I can know. only imagine what it was like for you. I know we've talked about it, but I can only imagine what it was like for you being in the ring. Yeah, I marked out. I marked out, in the, you know, in the beginning of the match because the, it, it started from the fucking entrance. And the, the feel, the respect of sixty-eight to 70,000 people in Toronto Skydome and Canadians, man, you guys know you're wrestling. You know you're fucking wrestling. I don't think there's ever been one bad Canadian wrestler, you know? Um, and I'm talking Edge and Christian and, you know, uh, Benoit and... Uh, Jericho. Jericho and just so many on down the line, you know? Uh, so, I mean, being in there and just seeing the respect that they gave Hogan, you know, when he came out was just, and you know what? The company didn't know fucking which way these people were going to go. They did. They were stressed. They put this icon against icon match. They were worried about it and they fucking, they nailed it, man. They nailed it. Hogan looked like in phenomenal shape at his age. The rock will look great. Um, you know, it was just two icons against icons. And then, you know, at that moment, you know, you really didn't even realize there was a torch being passed because, you know, Hogan, Andre passed the torch to Hogan, to, you know, my feelings. Then Hogan in 2002 was passing the torch to Rock. Rock took the fucking torch, went to fucking Hollywood. You know, he said, fuck it a few years later. He said, I'm out oh, yeah. of Gigi. I'm going to Hollywood. I'm like, you can't do that. You just got the fucking torch, bro. And, <laughs> and then Cena takes up the torch. You know what I'm saying? And no, you know, sure. there's many guys as far as DX and all that other stuff in between with Shawn Michaels, the showstopper, Taker. And we just had so much talent on the card back then, too, you know. So, um, yeah, and just that night in Toronto was just fucking amazing. And I hate to take away from Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania and this and, and another, all these other matches I've done, Seth Rollins, or I mean, Brock Lesnar and, um, and uh, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins cashing in the money at the bank and and so many other matches I've done. I hate to take that away because there were such physical and badass matches in certain other ways. And like you said, Jimmy, Hogan and Rock, they didn't do much at all. You know, it was the shove off. It was the push off, the fucking tackle, the Hulk up. It was just like, holy shit. And I, I marked out so much. I had chills. And then at the end, I don't know if you'll notice, but I had tears in my eyes for Hogan, man, because... Hogan sitting there did the job, you know, his ribs were busted up a little bit. I know his ribs were hurting him and he got through that match, man. The, I had to take one bump during that match to bump. I was so stressed. You know how you're stressed about how the fucking bump's going to work and make sure, sure it because if you fuck this bump up, you know, and you don't hit your timing right and fuck up everything and God forbid, you know, the referee gets the heat really not only from the crowd, but from the talent and then from the mm -hmm. office in the back. So, you know, the referee will get shit on every which way. So, 
Everything worked out perfect that night. I was so fucking pumped that it did. Um, so honored to be a part of that match. And um, looking back at it now, it's just one of my best matches in my career. And I remember hey, Jericho. Kyoto. Kyoto, you remember the way the um, – I know you do because me and you hung <clears> – <throat> excuse me, hung out that weekend. Um, remember the way the hotels were where you could open the curtains and you could look out to the – the arena. To the arena, yeah. Yeah, the stadium, yeah. So I, I went back up to my room because I had my girlfriend at the time, which was my wife for mm-hmm. 19 years. Yeah. Um, she's not now, but anyway. Um, anyway, I uh, opened those curtains, was changing, and lived that moment up there where all those people were. It was the most amazing sound I've ever heard in my life, other than an aircraft that goes over something. Yeah. It exploded. I, and I was actually in your shoes and could not imagine. I was just like, holy fuck, dude. I couldn't I, even I, think. I did the opening. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I did the opening, uh, which was RBD and um, Regal. Uh, yeah, William Regal. And, yeah. of course, you know they're fucking hot, you know, for the opener. Right. And it was fucking mind-boggling for somebody like me. Right. And that was nothing compared to what I witnessed and saw. Just amazing. And then I want to touch on this. I did Hogan events. Suck it. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to touch, Jimmy, with, you know, in Toronto – if you remember this too, and Brian, um, but Chris Jericho, I remember running around all day at that, that, that time in 2002. Now we're going back 21 years and he sat there and, you know, he was so young in his career at the time, you know, and I remember him saying, we're not going to be able to follow Rock and Hogan. We're not going to be able to follow. And they just did not want to put that fucking match on last. You know, they were in production meetings after production meetings. And, you know, they're in fucking tons of meetings all week before Mania, two weeks before Mania. And they just did not want to put that match on last, you know. And mm-hmm. and then there was a another match. I mean, it was just the crowd was just so exhausted. I felt bad for the last match. You know, it just, you know, it was just, I remember, I think Jericho had two titles on him at the time or something. And yeah. it was a title match. It was Hunter against... um you know, Jericho. And um, I just remember that they kept saying that fucking match. And I remember it was such a success and the crowd went so fucking nuts. It was 68,000 for the Sky Dome. You didn't have 90,000 people. You had 68,000 in that Sky Dome. And that's a big stadium. And the feel, to be able to hear that fucking noise with 68,000 people was so fucking impressive. It was the building crazy. literally shook. Shook. Literally. No, it did. It did. It it really I mean, did. I literally, if there's a picture up here, like, um, you know, I have, I have all I've, the front page of Sun, the Bash, and all that. It's up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, I have a picture, same one. Let me see. I have the same one, bro. Probably if you could see, I don't know if you can see him back there, but yeah, it's from the Bash, and I'm over there in the front page, and then I'm on the Examiner. I'm on the front page with Rock and Hogan, with them mm-hmm. just staring at them in the face off. I marked out on the face-off with the crowd, the entrance, and everything. I was fucking marking. I and I here I am. I'm in the business 17 fucking years, and I'm I'm marking out huge, huge. So yeah, it was amazing, man. Well, Brian, you didn't. I, I was going to mention this when you said to uh, to Kyoto there, you could suck it because you did Vince and Hogan. Well, Kyoto did uh, Vince and Triple H, so you can both, <laughs> you, you, you can both go like that. And on top of that, Jimmy did. Uh, Hogan and Piper in at pay per view mm-hmm. when he was Mr. America. So, oh my goodness, yeah, RJ, 
RJ. See, see how things Bro. come to you. <laughs> they all RJ, come together. Reminder, this is my show and you work for me. What the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Well, check. Okay. I'm going to edit that. Okay, good. Uh, no, but just seriously, though, it's just between with you, Kyoto, and with Hebner there, it's you're working with Vince. It's like how you've been in the business so long. How intimidating right. is that when you guys, especially with 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 Brian at WrestleMania 19 and you're over at Armageddon 99, Mike, and mm-hmm. just how intimidating is it to go out and you know work you're roughing the boss? Uh, it is. It, to me, it was very intimidating at times because uh, everybody was worried about his concern about his health or his condition in the ring. I mean, because Vince is not a worker. You know, if you ever seen Vince take some bumps, you know, like it's it's you know, and, and you know, Brutal. Vince is, you know, if we're going back 15 years or so, Vince was probably 60 years old at the time, but always in phenomenal shape. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal shape. The guy fucking works out. Vince works out goddamn three in the morning to five in the morning. Just he's a workaholic, you know. Um, Yeah, but I mean, it was always intimidating. You had to make sure you got the cues. And but, you know, and here's my thing. When Vince always worked against certain opponents, whether it was Stone Cold or this one or Triple H, you know, he wasn't the ringleader in there. You know, it was more or less Triple H or Stone Cold and them guys were the ringleaders. But when Vince wanted to know his cues or his spots or anything, you better be point on and give it to him. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, you're always worried about his health. I mean, you know, he, some, some days he walked down the ring, blew both his quads out. And then some days he did this and some days this happened. So they were very concerned about his health. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the most important the, the 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 crazy thing about the night he blew up both quads was he made it back to gorilla on his own he wouldn't he refused help i know i know insane he was pissed i remember man we, we got oh i know uh, to this day i still pissed. bug chad because when he went to stand up in the ring he started yeah. going down and chad backed off and i kept going <laughs> chad you let the boss fall you should have grabbed him right <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but uh, if you grabbed him, what well, he you'd probably get more more for yeah, it than no, grabbing him. Well, he did uh, the right thing. Don't get me wrong. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vince would Vince, if you would have held Vince up, he would have. Yeah, he would have been hot. So, probably. But I, but I couldn't let him off the hook. Come on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, Kyoto, you, you you've done so many matches, and you've been a you you've been assigned to them. You know, they just don't. Right. Get, they're right. assigned. Y'all know right. that work production meetings and agents and this and Absolutely. that and you know I never pitched you know I I got that question did you ever uh they said you know one of my questions on my podcast it said uh Yoda did you ever like um how did I say weasel your way or play the politics in getting your match and I said I never did that I never never did that you know like I let production and I let the talent production and the top guys in them production meetings make the choices, and that's who and that's who did make always the choices, whether talent or production. And it was always Michael Hayes or Vince, or you know, without have to approve of this. So when you know when they'd come to me about these matches, I I felt very privileged, and I felt like I was doing my job right, and you know, um, and gave it one hundred and ten percent every time I went out there. There's a there's a there's an off the cuff question though. I know. Mikey, you've had a legendary career. Let's put it that way. And you, yeah, you talk about, you know, you know, Hall of Fame quality uh, officiating and that sort of stuff. But what was your favorite car to ride in? I have to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I want to say it have to be 
Ray Mysterio, Umanga, and Johnny Stramp Stamboli. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Good lord. Oh. oh yeah, that was a fucking wild one. Um, I, I just I Snitsky, a... uh, Snitsky's one of the best too, you know. I mean uh, <laughs> it was fucking wild. I love him. I, I have a I have a story about Kyoto that we'll we'll talk about in our third count. It's, <laughs> it's fucking awesome. I, I, I used I used to fucking hate it, but now I look back on it and be like, this motherfucker was trying to teach me. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I, I I get it. It's 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 a cool story. We'll 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 get into that in the third count, but cool, cool. Yeah, you didn't you like, didn't mention the car where you you know I'd be driving with my with my no, lights and, and, Jimmy and, and I do I and, love and, and and uh Chimmel in the passenger side Just, yep. complaining about everything. Everything. Yep. Jimmy, you, you were driving. And I love the music. You were the best fucking DJ in the car. You, you knew every fucking classic rock and roll song. You knew every song, period. And we used to have a blast smoking our cigarettes, fucking cruising. And you'd always fucking knock out that driving. I'll tell you that. Uh, I, I, that's because I was a bad passenger. <laughs> I can't I can't just sit there. I have to do something. And not only that, the person driving was also in charge of the radio. Remember? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and those are the stations I chose. You know? That's right. Old Always school. had some good music, no, man. No school like old school. No. Me and Kyoto, no me, me and Kyoto would be like, all right, we're riding with uh Jimmel, and then we go, guess what? Here's the good news. We ain't gotta fucking drive because right, you know, exactly. you know Chimmel's not gonna do it, and he will do it, and him exactly. and Gordon. Oh yeah, I'd be, I'd be lighting up the Smiths. You'd be cracking those. What was it? Bud Lights or Miller Lights? You used to like Miller Lights. Come Miller on, Light. Miller Light. Yeah. It was a Miller Light. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that was always a good time, man. Always had a lot of fun, man, driving with you guys, working with you, and it's been it's been an awesome career, man. It's been awesome. I really have nothing. I have nothing bad to say about my 35 career and who I worked with you guys and anybody yeah. really, you know, we've been blessed, man. We've, we, we, we truly have been blessed, especially yeah. in something we love so much. It, you know, like they say, when you love doing what you're doing, it's not work. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's true. And we used to bitch about, it. I know we used to bitch and this and that because we travel and all the time travel and on the road. And it wasn't easy being away from the family 25 days a month, 24 or whatever. And sometimes more. Especially but we were like, I know it sounds cliche, but we were like a road family out there, man. We, we were. We, we did. We looked after each other. We totally. watched each other's backs, man. Totally. Well, we man. had to because we never wanted to get buried. We didn't want to lose our jobs. We always <laughs> like, you know, we forgot that last piece of the steel cage. I don't know, but we better go fucking get it. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 think about think about think about this, guys. I mean, it, it puts it really in perspective. So I'm now working and training a 25 year old at my family business. And he's now discovering because he's so young, what I used to do. And something came up with the beatbox thing. And mm-hmm. someone sent it to me today, today, because they knew Kyoto was on. They were like, you know, here's, Hey, so, da, 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 da. Right. so I showed it to him. He was like, damn dude, your 25 year old life was much cooler than mine right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's oh. put it in perspective, bro. Brother, sometimes, you know, you you go overseas, whether it was South Africa, Japan, Australia, Europe, we'd get on that plane, get fucked up, get fucked up at the hotel, and you'd wake up in the morning and you'd open up your curtains, whether you were wherever you were, and you'd see this beautiful ocean, whether you were in South Africa or Australia, you go, what the fuck? I can't believe I'm, I'm in South Africa or I'm in fucking Australia or I'm in Japan or Thailand or 
you know, or in China or somewhere. And it's just, it's yeah. amazing how you just be like, holy shit. What an experience to travel because no fucking college education or computer class or fucking whatever, or even no baseball or American, like NFL or any, they don't travel as much as we did. They don't go no. all over the world. No. Hell no. Mm -mm. Maybe that's like we were talking about in the first count. Maybe that's one of the reasons why there's an issue nowadays is because we were on the road, not only on the road a lot, but we were working a lot in the ring, right? Live events, right. house shows, and that's, that's not, because of what's been happening the last couple of years with the COVID and stuff. They haven't been right. getting those reps in, right? And and, and, and that's true. Yeah, yeah. No, and keep going, Jimmy, because I want to feed no. off of that. Because no, well, it's just what I was going to say. I wanted to bring yeah. that up. I wanted to bring that up earlier. I forgot to mention that with AEW, they don't do live events really. They may be starting to do live events now. You know, like I just talked to Dean Malenko a little while ago today, and um, he was in Winnipeg, you know, courtesy of Chris Jericho. You know, mm -hmm. hey, Tony Khan, let's get out to Winnipeg. <laughs> minus, minus six degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was like, no shit, you're in fucking Winnipeg? I said, yeah, congratulations. You could thank Chris Jericho for that. And he goes, yeah, fucking A, right, right? Minus <laughs> six degrees. So, I mean, and, you know, my thing is, AW doesn't do live events. They may start soon doing live events, but it's a day late, dollar too short. I mean, I think the live events, you would learn a lot more by doing fucking two referees, four four matches, or one guy's got five like we used to do. Mm -hmm. And and you, that's how you learn. And I don't think, I, I don't, and even WWE, I don't think they're doing, those referees I think are working, I think they're working one live event now, which, God, I wish I was back with WWE now working one weekend of live events in a fucking month, you know? And, Why would you wish that? Well, they're getting paid the same and they're only working one <laughs> fucking weekend on the live wow. events. And they're getting their downsides and they're getting all that. And they're fucking less mm -hmm. travel expenses, less fucking everything, you know, less hotel mm -hmm. car. But um, but they're not getting the experience. They're getting the money, but they're not getting the experience, the young mm -hmm. referees that they need, mm -hmm. you know, for with live events. Right. Well, let's do this. We got lots to talk about. We got fan questions and we're not done talking about some good shit <laughs> so with that being said we're going to send it to our third count right now this is your three count all right we're here with the third count we got some listener questions for you mike uh first group comes from our listener shane uh, first question is why did you only make sporadic appearances in the early days of raw um, so I'm assuming it's probably right when the infancy of like 93, 94 there. Hmm. Sporadic appearances on Raw in 93 and 94. I, it says the early days. So I'm assuming it's I'm assuming it's at 93, 94 when they first uh, when they're running, probably I think it was the Manhattan Center. Manhattan Center and, right. um, I think they ran Poughkeepsie, too. Right, right. No, I I mean, I remember working Poughkeepsie for, you know, the Civic uh, Hudson Civic Center. Um, of course, we started Raw with the ring crew and referee. And, you know, my first big match I did in Raw, I think, at the Manhattan Center was Razor Ramon and one, two, three kid. Um, that's when Razor told me to fucking speed my count up. He goes, I don't give a fuck what you do, Coyote. You just better speed that fucking count up. And if you notice on that, man, I fucking sped that fucking count up because I wasn't having no parts of fucking heat with the click, you know, so you didn't want no fucking heat with click. Um <laughs> And Razor was always cool with me, man. And I had a lot of phenomenal. I had this poster up here, man, in the office signed to Coyote and everything. And 
Yeah, I miss Razor Man. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know the sporadic appearances. It must have. It could have been where, you know, when there was times with um, certain things at Raw going on, we were pretty much ninety percent of the crew because we were from New Jersey, so it'd be an hour drive for us. But if I didn't make Raw and I made sporadic appearances, maybe because I was driving a truck somewhere else, bringing the steel cage or bringing the fucking uh, other parts of stuff, because we, you know, Terry Garvin had us, and I think Terry Garvin was at the time maybe or Steve Taylor event operations you know they always had you moving somewhere you'd have to miss a show because you had to drive a truck from fucking california to connecticut or somewhere but yeah that was the only time but 90 90 probably 90 percent of the times i was at raw a lot yeah. in the manhattan center Is that coming from shane mcmahon himself a question or is that could have been uh, no, so, so all right so uh you know i'll Kyoto, I want to ask this. Um, yeah. I, I was told this story by the infamous uh, Chimmel. Yeah. That piece of shit. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. I'm kidding. I love Chimmel. Right. Um, could, could, couldn't tell. I, <laughs> I got um, a little heat with him, too. He won't even come on my podcast. <laughs> Jesus. I think it's well, I think it now be a race of whose podcast he'll get on first. Yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> um, so you were uh doing some road work, ring work, all that stuff, and he was yep. in charge of the truck, and there was somebody that was left behind, including yourself. Mm. Mm. Um, I wanted you to go into a little detail about that because I was very privy to this conversation, and um it, to me it's a hilarious. <laughs> all right, um, man. This yeah. Totally remember that night. Totally remember, man. The can, only can, time can, I ever got you, fucking left. Can, can you tell me about it? Sure can, man. Um, Philadelphia Spectrum, 30 minutes from our house, right? 30 minutes from my house. And who do we have the privilege of traveling with? Um, Vince McMahon wanted his son, wanted Shane to learn everything from the bottom up. He wanted him to learn how to drive in the ring truck, how to set the ring up from the bottom. He wanted him to know everything. Um, as far as wrestling, ring crew production, driving the trucks, how the tru how the trucks in the ring, event operations and the ring crews work. So he put. How old was he? How old was he? He was just getting out of college at the time. So I want to say 22, 23, maybe, or something like that. Or he was offered, you know, the summer from college, which started in May or whatever it did. Um, and he traveled to us for almost a year, like, you know, on and off. And, you know, he'd stay at the house of my, you know, my house and stuff a lot. Uh, so we go to the Spectrum one day. We do a show. We bust our ass. We have a four and a half hour drive to Glens Falls, New York. So we're sitting there and then the fucking nasty boys are partying on their tour bus. They had this tour bus and stuff, you know, and they were fucking partying with a bunch of the boys. So no me way. and Shane go over there. We're drinking our homemade fucking whiskey, homemade wine. And they got all this <laughs> homemade shit getting fucked up. So we're having a few drinks afterwards and it's now, now it's about midnight, 1230, you know, it's, it's fucking late because, you know, we, we, we busted ass tearing down the ring and now we got a four and a half drive. And, you know, the motto was always Chimmel and myself and was get the ring there first, get, just get to the next town. Don't fuck around. <laughs> Never try to get there the next day, get to the next town. So Chimmel's paging me, paging me, 911, this and that. Now, I can't call him back. I wasn't even near a fucking payphone. 
And I'm like, oh, I'm like, Shane fucking Chimmel's pissed, man. We got to roll. He keeps texting me. Nine, I mean, he, uh, he was paging me, 911. And he goes, ah, oh, don't worry. Fucking Chimmel ain't going nowhere. Chimmel ain't going nowhere. I said, ah, oh, Shane. I said, he's getting fucking hot. So now I see the truck up at the top of the fucking ramp coming out of the arena. And he stopped there. And he's sitting there for a good 20 fucking 30 minutes. He keeps paging me, right? I guess he goes back to this payphone in the arena. And he's fucking paging me and paging me. And I said, Shane, we got to go. He goes, he goes, hey, he goes, Chimel ain't going to fucking leave us, please. And I look at Shane, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm with the fucking boss's son. I'm like, he ain't going to fucking leave us. You're absolutely fucking right, you know? Well, fuck, five minutes later, we see the truck pull off. I'm like, Shane, Shane, he's fucking pulling off. And he's like, and I want to say the bus is about maybe... 40, 50, 30, 30, 40 yards from us, maybe 20, 30, 40 yards. I said, fuck, Shane, he's pulling off, man. He goes, ah, he's just going to go around a block and try and scare us. Well, that motherfucker never came back. <laughs> and we're sitting there and it's fucking 1.32 in the morning. So long story short, I got to fucking ask Animal and Hawk to give me a ride. And the nasty boys were following in her bus. So Hawk and Animal give me and Shane a ride to my house to get my car. Because now we got to get my car. And I got to continue on because he, Timmel was fucking gone. We waited there about an hour. Truck never came back. Shit, now fucking Shane is fucking hot. How do you leave your boys? How do you leave your coworkers? How do you leave fucking this? You know? He <laughs> fucking steaming. Right? <laughs> I'm steaming now because now I got to drive. I got to get my car. So now my this is when I was I moved back home for a little bit of time because I was I was buying a home somewhere. So uh, and I had this side apartment in the garage. We had this garage I was completely remodeled into a big screen TV, a full bar and everything. And I had a piranha fish tank with 55 gallon fish tank with piranhas in it. Waterbed, waveless waterbed. I was fucking, you know, making money. And um next thing you know, like now everybody's drunk. And then my dad and my mom are sleeping on the other side of the house. And uh, and I have a side door to the garage for always to get in and out. So um, next thing you know, fucking sags and knobs. I come back in my room and they got my fucking room torn apart. And I was, you know, I'm so neat. I used to vacuum my carpet coming out. Fucking water bed always made. Everything used to be fucking just tip top shape when I come back off the road. I, I, I have to cut you off, Jimmel. I mean, gotcha. Yoda. Gotcha. Dude, you you're 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 OCD like no other. Uh, right. You are, right? You are. Totally. I, I remember coming to your hotel rooms <laughs> to come hang out. Your bullshit. shit was meant. There was nothing in the floor. You had candles burning. <laughs> you had. I'm being dead serious. Uh, Kyoto. Right. I mean, like I was a smoker. Wrong. I was an eat smoker. I was, you know, burn candles so you didn't smell the pot and you know, cigarette smell and all that, but. <laughs> smart but that was neat this is the howard stern show folks yeah right <laughs> so they're fucking now nasties knobs and sags which i just seen fucking knobs a couple weeks ago in nwa show up here in tampa and we popped you seeing each other so and they're pulling my fucking pranas out and throwing them all over my fucking bedroom you know and i got like six pranas in this tank and i grab my fucking pranas and throw them like you motherfuckers so I, I'm like, 
I'm like, Hawk, you know, to Mike. And I said, Hawk, get these motherfuckers out of my room. He's like, I said, my dad's home, man. I don't want him getting up, you know, fucking saying, who the fuck are these guys? And then, you know, and uh, next thing you know, Hawk goes, all right, okay, well, I'll get him out. So he fucking gets him, pushes him out the door. Let's get the fuck out. I grab my keys. I make my room up real quick. Get my fish back in my fucking glass tank and shit and everything. And and then me and Shane take off. Now, we got a four and a half hour drive, five hour drive to Glens Falls. But he's he, it's, Shane goes, where the fuck is Chimmel staying? I said, well, if I know him, we're going to Glens Falls. We stay at Poughkeepsie. We stay at, you know, exit 18 off the fucking the 87, I believe, or something. We we, we stay off exit 18 and New Paul's exit. So we stay at that hotel at the fucking Days Inn or it was a, it was a Days Inn or a Super 8. So we said, well, let's fucking go to that hotel. I said, for what? We should just go all the way. He goes, fuck that. We're going to Chimmel's room. We get there at 5.30 in the morning, right? What? Yeah, by the time we get to, I, I Kipsy's like a two and a half, three hour drive. So we get there. He fucking, it's 5.30 in the morning. We get the fucking room number for Tony Chimmel. We see the fucking truck, of course, the WWF truck, you know, <laughs> World Wrestling Federation. So he's like, good fucking, goes way to know where he's at, that motherfucker. He gets in, he kicks the fucking door down. We get in, get his room number from the lady at the front desk. You know, those days they gave you room numbers out. And he fucking kicks that fucking door in. And he's fucking screaming at Chimmel in the room. And I'm just like in the room, like, what the fuck? He's like, go ahead. Go ahead, Shane. Tell your fucking dad. He was like, yeah, my thing is I got to get the fucking ring and do my job first. So tell your dad, does he want me to sit there and fucking party all night? Or does he want me to get the fucking work done and get the ring to the next town? Because if you don't have a fucking ring, you ain't got a show. And Shane, (laughs) I just stopped and looked at him and, you know, all right, okay, yeah, you got a fucking point there, Chimble, but you left your boys. You left your fucking boys. And he's like, I don't want to hear it. And I was just like, oh, shit. And I was like, you know, Shane, he does got a point, man. Amad always get the fucking rings in the next town. Well, you don't no, want to do Kyoto. But yep. Chimble was you're... right, bro. He was right. No, he, he was totally right. And you know what? You know how much yeah. respect has probably gotten and given from that point yeah. forward? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Chimmel was, I mean, Shane was kind of hot, man. He held he held that grudge for quite a while. <laughs> I was hot too, because now I had my car in the road. Then we got to go to Glass Falls. Then we got to go to fucking upstate New York, even further all the way up to probably Rochester or Buffalo. And I had to take my fucking car and put all those miles on them. Fucking you know, I was just and drive. So I was fucking kind of hot, but he was right. Yeah, he left us cold in the dirt, man. That's for sure. So um, I, a little sad story that I, I mentioned earlier, and I'll never forget this. This is uh, uh, honestly a really cool moment. Um, I remember getting on the road for a very early, short period of my time, very green, very hated. Uh, and I remember you coming to me, and I don't know if you remember this or not, so I'm a joggy memory. You don't remember much, it seems, as yeah. like. <laughs> but uh, I remember you coming to me and saying, "Hey, you wanna you wanna go to the bar and hang out?" And I said, "Hey, killed. I don't. I, I don't. I don't have the money, dude. I'm 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 good. I'm good. No problem." And you said, "Look, no, dude. It don't work like this." And I said, "Doesn't work like what?" 
I said, I don't have shit in my pocket. There's nothing. It works just like that. I don't have money to spend. Right. And you said, here. And you have to remember, this was early 2000s. Like, I'm talking about 2000, 2001 at the max. Right. You gave me a $100 bill and you said, keep it. You don't owe me shit. Let's go to the bar. I I remember that. You do remember this? I do. What kind of bar was it? It was a, <laughs> no, it was no, no, no. It was a, it was a hotel it was a re- bar. It was a regular, oh, the regular bar. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was okay. a hotel bar. Gotcha. I won't talk about what happened when we left that bar, but anyway, right. <laughs> uh, I do remember that. I do. And remember you gave that. me a hundred dollars, and you said it's yours. You don't owe me anything. This is my donation to you. My, my, my initiation to you. Just want you to feel part of the family. Yeah, and I was just like, time. wow, like wow, like, and I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Yeah, I mean, I that know. was almost 30 years ago. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, and, and, you know, when, when I gave money like that, because I liked you or, you know, I wanted, you know, come on, hang out and, you know, it felt bad. But, you know, it was one thing I, I, I never lent money out. I always gave money. And if I gave it, I never looked back at it, you know? And so right. I, you know, and I could see me doing that. And I remember doing that, you know, um, and I remember we, we, we entered, that, uh, that conversation in that day a while ago. Um, and I totally do, man. And you know, I was I always liked you as a referee, and I knew you were going to be one of the best referees in this business, you know, which you are still. And you know, um, you came from a second generation at the time, you know, and uh, you knew your shit. And I was like, I knew you were going to be a great referee. And uh, I just wish I would have, man. I, you know, Brian, I really do wish your career would have lasted longer with WWE. You know, I do too. Agree. You got, you know, you got the wrong. You got the, uh, you know. I, I think, I think all of us, in one way or another, in the points of our career, I know I, I lasted a longer, a lot longer, and stuff. I don't know how, but I did. Um, but I, I think we all got shafted, you know, in in, in, in a certain way. That's that's the unfortunate part of this business is that if you tick off somebody in the, uh, in the right position. Mm-hmm. or wrong position to depending on your point of view right. and they hold a grudge against you uh it's very easy for them to kind of eradicate something they don't like so yeah you know that's and, the, yeah and that's exactly it jimmy because i used to sit there and always say like you know there's one person that hates the talent and then it could be 12 people at the round table in that production meeting right one person hates that talent the other 11 agree you know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, he did. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All you had to do is have heat with one person, and it would fucking filter like a a virus, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, and and it's just like you know. But I, you know, I look at a lot of the talents' careers. A lot of guys like Alex Riley and certain other guys, and Dolph Ziggler, and you know how oh, man, you know, sometimes people stomp on people's careers. Man, I hated that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then finally, it happens to you. No. You know, there's one thing, Kyoto, like you said. I mean, like, so for for me and eventually you, eventually Corderas, mm-hmm. you know, you, you you kind of feel like you, you you build a comfort with a company where they believe in you and believe in what you do for them. And tell you your family, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And then there's never a comfort zone in WB. Right. And I'll just say, you know, the reason why I – could have gone back to WWE, but there was reasons why I didn't. And there's reasons why I chose Impact Wrestling. And there's reasons why I chose 
um, NWA. Mm-hmm. And there's reasons why I was a floater. You guys were never floaters. You guys were predominantly WWE guys. And that's, yeah. that's cool. Right. But once I got that, once I got that, 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 that anger of not doing anything wrong and just being eliminated, which I've always been taught and learned to be a winner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and winning yeah. is, 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 is only acceptable. Losing is not acceptable. Right. You learn your losses. You know what I mean? Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's what I learned. And, 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 you know, I never felt threatened like I did in WWE, which causes camaraderie problems, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. where does. people are always watching their back, where they're always worried about somebody stabbing them. They're always doing this, doing that. Right. Like you said earlier tonight, you know, don't, 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 don't tell somebody that they did something wrong. Don't, don't go and do that because, you know, you're the one that does that. You're, you're the one that gets fucked. Right. Um, it's the same way, but it's done differently. Right. You know, and you know, I, I, I really cherish all my memories in WWE. I really, really do. And then yeah, meeting so you meeting Paris yep. and, and, and all that stuff. But man, that, that mill I'll never go back to. I don't care what the dollar figures are. They're not right. worth it to me right. because at the end of the day, you can get the dollar figures and guess what? Tomorrow you may not because they could just cut you. No, and, that's, true. Well, that's why you got to go with a guarantee. Right, exactly. You're you're learning. You're learning, Kyoto. It, 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 took, it takes a while, but you it, figure it out eventually. Exactly right. Three and a half decades. Now, yeah, I'm figuring it out. Now I got to right. ask you. I got to ask you on a more serious note. A question for yeah, me. What's that, Jimmy? Because you've been there for a long time through different iterations of refereeing, from the blue shirt and bow tie to the striped shirt. I see the blue SmackDown shirt in the back. Yep. You know which was your favorite? of all time did you did you like the stripes did you like the blue smackdown did you like the blue shirt with the bow tie what was your favorite look he that's hated the blue bow tie i did i did i did <laughs> the bow tie that shirt was the shit yeah I, I didn't like that one but um i'd have to say the black and white shirt and then but i've done some incredible matches and some incredible things with the ring exploding and and you know brock and kurt and uh, so many other matches with the SmackDown shirt. I got to say, if I can only pick one, I'd have to say with the black and white, but I'm kind of almost torn between two because mm-hmm. the black and white was Rock and Hogan with other incredible matches that I've done and Stone Cold mm-hmm. and and um, Shawn Michaels and and many other matches that I've done. Um, yeah, I'd have to say the black and white, Jimmy, though, is the best probably. Cool. cool. Yeah. Which one was so- yours, Jim? I don't know. That I, I I liked the fact that when we when SmackDown switched to the blue shirt, right, it differentiated us uh, the yes. brands. Yeah, it made the brands true. completely separate. And you know what I mean. And, and that's the shirt I wore in refereeing that main event match at WrestleMania. The uh, between Edge and Taker right, was the blue right, shirt. Right. So for me, the blue shirt holds a special place in my heart. Don't get me wrong. No, I uh, got you. I started with the blue shirt and the bow tie until uh, right. there was somebody that used to love pulling the pockets and ripping them off. Owen? Oh, oh you remember? <laughs> <laughs> Just accidentally. Hey, let me put that in your pocket. Oh, sorry. Oh, rip, sorry. <laughs> when you use the, the foreign napkin as an object, a foreign object. You know I mean? Oh, my God. I know there's so many times when Owen, I used to play music. You know, I used to have to be back and you'd referee and then you have to start, you'd have to play music in between your matches and do certain mm-hmm. shit. I remember being on the headset in an arena 
And I'm like, okay, all right, we'll just play the music when I tell you to, and you're going to, you're going to cue this tape up. And when I give you the go ahead, you just hit the music, you know, like normal. Mm-hmm. And then fucking next, I walk away for like fucking two minutes. I knew I had 10 minutes and I walk away to go to the bathroom and I hear the fucking music playing. And I'm like, what the fuck? I come back and fucking, I remember Chief and Rene Goulet and all these, what the fuck? You play the fucking music. The finish ain't over. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? And I see Owen over there with a big smile. And I'm like, I get on the headset. I'm like, hey, why did you fucking play that music, sir? He's like, well, you just told me to. You told me to hit the music. I was like, what? And I look over at Owen. He's fucking laughing. They're all laughing mm. over there. I'm like, you motherfuckers. I'm like, mm. He but was too much. I mean, he was. Like, it was great. God bless him. It was. God bless him, man. I know. And, you know, we were in the ring that day, that, that sad day, Jimmy, you know. Mm. Remember, yeah. you were in the ring. I came down. Yeah, yeah, that was that's, that was a rough one. Yeah, man, it sure was, man. Yeah, but uh, yeah, did you you got you got anything else here? Uh, so I got one a second one from Shane. He wanted to know um, coming up on the thirty year anniversary of this happening. It's hard to believe. Back in ninety three, when the one two three kid beat Razor Ramon on Raw. Right. You were in the ring for that. Um, he wants to know how surprised were you when you found out that kid was going over Razor on Raw? Uh, not as surprised as fucking Razor Ramon was. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Yeah. You remember, I'm the referee. I'm neutral, so I don't give a fuck who's gonna gonna bury me. You know, it's like I'm not I'm not losing or winning or anything. You're as a referee, you're the neutral guy, but man, was I shocked? Yes. Um, was Razor shocked? Fuck yeah! Mm-hmm. And then, like you know, it was just cool because they were that little click. But you know, Razor did the job. He, I know he was. I remember him bitching and going, "What the fuck?" And this because those guys back in the day took their, they took their, their, their wrestling, gimmicks. their gimmicks, their everything. They took it. You know, um, their per. I mean, they took everything so serious. And if you know, there was at that time in the business. You'd have guys going, I'm not doing a fucking job for him. Or fuck him. You know, what has he done in his business? He don't deserve it. And I mean, there were guys literally saying, I'm not doing a fucking job to him, or even at live events, or because they took their character so fucking serious. And um, yeah, I was shocked. Um, Manhattan Center was shocked. The New York crowd, New York City crowd, man, mm. Manhattan Center, you know, they were shocked. Everybody was shocked. And I think that's why it makes it one of the most uh, unbelievable matches. You know, this kid was young, he was like a little baby face, and, you know, he had a mullet, I had a mullet, Scott had a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I, uh, I had a frolet. <laughs> yeah, did have a frolet. <laughs> yeah. That's so, it. So, Gion, we, we, we need a little honesty here. All right. Yeah, what's up? All right. And I know you'd be honest. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, all I have is it's George. I don't know. George, whatever. How you doing, George? Um, he says, who started the sweat band on the arm? You both used it many years. Right. Who was the originator of the wristband is his question. I want to say you were. Okay. But I remember wearing wristbands in the 80s. I'm not in the 80s because we had the blue shirts on. Um. But I was always a fan of the wristbands because I sweated so much in the fucking ring. 
Same, uh, same, same. And it wasn't just what I was overweight, you know, in, in certain points in my career, but even when I was thin, because I always, I always gave it 110%. And I played baseball for many years since I was a young kid, played soccer, football. Baseball was my thing. And I always like, I always wore two wristbands, you know, because of the sweat. And I just would, with those shirts, you had nothing to always put sweat on. But I think when you, I think when you put that sweatband, I was like, fuck yeah. I was like, I'm going with the sweatband so I could wipe some of this sweat off. If I could have wore two, I would have. But, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't care how many times you'd wipe your face on your shoulder, man, with that fucking nylon, that shitty ass material sometimes he used to buy us. So and, what's uh, crazy, so hey, Kyoto, what's crazy is that it was not a, um, it was not for me, even though it seemed as though. Right. It was a pimp thing, like a fucking show, like I'm fucking, you know, Michael Jordan kind of thing. Oh, okay, gotcha. What it was for me, why I originated was because my mom had gotten cancer. Oh. And I was really scared she was going to die. And right. my mom's still here to this day, by the God way. God bless. God and bless. And just got her last, um, she just got it last week that she's still cancer free. Awesome. Um, awesome, man. And it was because I put that wristband on because I wanted her to know that that was the times I was thinking about her while I was doing work is how that originated. That's awesome. And no, 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 no. And, and it's not to make you feel bad. It, no, it, no, yeah. no. And to this day, I have referees that will call or text or reach out and say, right. do I need to ask you or Mike permission to wear the wristband and i said and my simple answer is this my simple answer is this you can ask either fucking one of us if you want i don't give a fuck right but here's my thing i did it for a fucking reason right not for a point pimp, behind it. but yeah not for some like kind of pimp thing right. it was really for my mom and i mean right. you know and i really took it serious when i went to impact wrestling when it was uh uh breast cancer month i would wear a right. pink one you know right. for my mom so anyway i you know no, that's awesome. I mean, you know what? There was always, you know, what I did, you know, in the ring and stuff to say hello to my mom and say hello to my sisters and or when I was in a relationship, I used to always grab my ear on TV. So I, I knew the camera was on us and I used to always like mess with my ear, just grab my ear mm -hmm. or wipe my, like, and I was saying hello and saying love you guys on TV. So it was kind of a thing. If I grabbed my ear, you know, then my mom and my sisters or my, you know, girlfriend or fiance at the time would go, oh my god i seen it i seen you grab your ear that was for me right i'm like yeah it was for you, <laughs> you know? all right so kyoto you're gonna give me one up then i get one up that something you did like that i did what's that wear the wristband oh yeah okay I, i'd say you're the okay. one who started the wristband okay yeah no i'm serious <laughs> no I, that's why i said you were i think that's what i'm thinking you were i you love you wristband. Kyoto. Yeah, I love you too, brother. It's all good, man. You know, I mean, you know, it's just uh, it, it's it's it sucks. I think like probably me, you, and Jimmy, we can have probably like a, a referee seminar and go around the country or go around the world and have seminars. On, mm. on there ain't enough money. Training. There ain't enough money they can pay us, dude. Yeah, right. right. I know. <laughs> no, I know. So, I, I, here's you, the, here's the other problem. Them. Will these will these young referees listen? No, they won't. They, they'll have to if we're getting paid for that and they don't listen. That's on them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fucking, that's on them if they don't want to soak up, the, you know, soak it up. So, uh, so, so, so we have more questions, Kyoto. Yeah, go ahead. 
do we no, I'm saying, do we want to bury anybody? Let's bury some people. What <laughs> <laughs> well, you what he, was I think we're up to like six or seven on the chimel count, so why not? Yeah. Well, he's buried enough weekly on yeah. our show. Chimel's oh, we're right. He buries himself, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. But uh so thoughts on your name being chanted in the crowd or raw after WrestleMania is what Man. Brian Oh my god, hold on. I don't even know how to explain this name. Uh I, I'm just gonna wing it. Hurley, Hurley with a crazy spelling. He want to know how you know what, what, what you thought after your name was Chan. Basically, man, it was it was it was fucking phenomenal. I mean, here we are. We're in fucking Jersey. We're in Continental Airlines Arena in Jersey, coming off of WrestleMania. You still got the European crowd. Now, when that European crowd puts out a chant, it usually sticks, you know. And I'm, I remember I'm doing Randy Orton and Sheamus, their, their match. And it's two baby faces, really. And I don't think anybody gave a fuck about the match because it was like two baby faces. And I remember fucking, they started chanting some names and then they go right to my name and they start chanting Mike Yoda. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm sitting there going, holy shit. And Randy's getting fucking hot. He's like, Fuck, I knew they should have put the fucking two baby faces together. They don't give two shits about this match. And I'm like, holy shit. And he's looking at me going, he's smiling and grinning going, they're fucking chanting your name during my fucking match. And he's looking at me and I'm looking at him going, fuck, I want to jump up to the second rope and fucking acknowledge these motherfuckers, Randy. <laughs> and he's like, go ahead. I'm like, fuck No. I mean, I didn't play to the crowd one time. Did I want to? Fuck yeah. Do I think don't these referees these days will do it? Yeah, they probably run up to the fucking third rope and go, hey, yeah, it's me, you know? But, man, did I want to acknowledge a crowd? No, it was so hard not to. But because of that crowd, I still get that fucking chant today, which I want to thank that European crowd. And I was sitting there going, wait a minute. Yeah, they're chanting my name because I'm in Jersey. I'm from Bayonne, Jersey, right down the street, down by J- Jersey City, Bayonne, New Jersey. I'm right there. That's why they're chanting my name. And I'm like, holy fuck, wait a minute. Most of this crowd is fucking European. They've come from everywhere around the world from WrestleMania. It's the leftover from WrestleMania. I'm like, wait a minute. This ain't a Jersey crowd. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it felt great. Awesome. And that's it was awesome. So I want to I I say this, too. Another story. Go back to stories. Yeah. Because they're always fun. Yeah. So I remember, and, and and this is not negative. It's going to sound negative, but it'll right. end up being exactly the way it's supposed to be. Gotcha. But I remember we would do house shows, house shows after house shows after house shows. Right. And the main event referee for all these house shows was Brian Hepburn. Right. So he would do the Eddie Guerrero versus whoever it may be. He would do the Brock Lesnar versus whoever it be. Mm-hmm. And it would come to pay-per-view time. And all of a sudden, the guy that worked the match the most wouldn't do the match. It would be Kyoto. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> he's laughing and giggling because he knows where I'm going. Right. But it's okay. This is a lesson learned. Because... He would say, I'm dipping, bro. I'm out of here. 
No, I was still doing ring crew then. No, you were getting that car that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. You were out. <laughs> that was Maybe. yeah, that was after ring crew. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. But and, you know what? You know where I learned done. that from, right? Do what? You know where I learned that from, right? Probably Chimmel. No. No, Chimmel oh, had no Joey. choice. He had to stick around. Not no, not Joe. Earl and Dave. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, <laughs> great. So I got, I got, so you, you just fed it on me. All right. Cool. <laughs> you know, got to pass the buck there. You know, I mean, hey, I was learned from the best. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I would, I would, I would craft my art and fucking just do all the things for the main event and just, just whatever. My point being this. Yes. I did more main events on house shows than, than Kyoto did. <laughs> Probably. Because this motherfucker was out. He was gone. <laughs> but I will say this. Actually, that made me a better referee. Nah, yeah, well, and I will honestly say, you were making me earn my stripes because I was green. And I was in the business after all this happened and right. did the same fucking thing. Right. And the right. reason why is because he needs the experience more than I did. Right. So your thought process, I would think, would be that I needed the experience more than you did, and it's time for you to go. Well, and it's okay. I get I, it. I want to say a little bit that is true, but I want to see the most part is true because I knew you were good enough. And if you didn't, if you weren't good enough and you fucked up the main events, who do you think that he would have came back on? Probably myself. Oh, it would have came to you, for sure. But yeah. I knew you were a damn good referee. Even though you were a little still maybe green at some times, um, but still, you were a damn good referee. So, I mean, and you never fucked up any matches. So, it never came, but you know, never came but, back. Uh, you know what I did do? Let me tell you the quick story, real quick. Hold on, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Keep that thought. No, 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 no. Go so, I, I'm with TVs. I'm traveling with Danny Danilo, right? Danny Danilo's got a lot of fucking heat from Billy Kidman all the time and fucking whatever, young Italian kid. And he's been in the business for a while. He was a wrestler and he, he you know, transitioned to a referee quite a while ago. And, uh, so I remember I got out of the dark match because I had a red eye to catch. So I didn't do the dark match. And who do I let join it? Danny DeMillo. Well, fucking Billy Kidman calls me. Somebody, you know, whatever. You got fucking heat. What the fuck? Don't ever let that fucking DeMillo do a dark match again. I'm like, what the fuck happened? He's like, he super kicked the talent in the fucking ring at the end of the match. I'm like, what? He did what? <laughs> Who is this? He took his shirt off or something. He took his shirt off and then he super kicked oh. the fucking talent and he covered it. I'm like, he did fucking what? I'm like, I'm trying to call this motherfucker after I hung up with Billy and he's not answering his phone. I'm like, answer your fucking phone, you know? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, well, he finally, I finally get all, I'm like, why the fuck would you super kick a fucking talent? Would you, are you fucking kidding me? And he's like, He's like, Kiki, he was like, I'm sorry, man. He was like, they told me to do it. I said, so if they told you to jump off a fucking bridge, would you jump off a fucking bridge? He's like, probably. I'm like, yeah, I would too, probably. But anyway, <laughs> why the fuck would you super kick the motherfucker? Are you kidding me? He was like, well, it was a dark match. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. It was a light match, you know, in the sun. Jesus Christ. And, you know, but um, yeah, he got heat, but he's still working there. So I mean, I'm <laughs> so, what do I know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, on, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah how do you top that story <laughs> right but that goes with uh, that right there what are you gonna say jimmy no i was just no uh, 
I was just going to say that, 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 that this, like, like everything else, you learn from the best and, and that's what we did. And we were blessed to, to have some great teachers back in the day to learn from. And, 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 uh, you know, I, I credit them with everything that I was able to accomplish. Mm. And so, I credit you guys as well. You guys right. like you and Brian, because, you know, when we work together, we really work together. No, we did. We were a That's team. Right. You know what I mean? And That's right back at you. we didn't, I don't think there was that animosity that like when Brian was talking about, you know, he did all the main events on the house shows, but you did them at the pay-per-views and the, uh, we just, we did our things. I know. You know, you know what amazes me? Quick question to you too, guys. What was your favorite era? 80, 90s attitude era? I mean, my, mine personally was was the Attitude Era because it was right, absolutely amazing. Yeah, me too. Yeah. What about you? Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, obviously being there for for the Hulk Hogan era and mm -hmm. with Andre and 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 Warrior True. and all yep. that stuff was was tremendous. Yeah. Right. But we there was a time there when we had Austin Rock, Cena, oh, and, and oh my goodness, it, it just everything just gelled. Yeah, that's another I, match. Yeah, I know Austin and Rock. I did that match, and your dad and then uh, Earl mm -hmm. took over a little while later. I I got the chair shot in the head when I rang yeah. that bell for fucking three days. But uh, yeah. did he rail you? Did he rail yeah. you? Oh, oh I yeah. told him. I said, man, you know, as a, as a referee, what are you gonna do? You see these guys taking crazy bumps, get the shit beat out of them with chair shots and everything. You can never say, don't bring it on your one right. fucking itchy bitchy bump a referee's got to take. I always told him to bring it, man. I didn't give a fuck if I got gassed open or whatever, you know. And it was in Philadelphia, so I was like, "Hey, bring it." Well, he brought he brought it, all right. I think I think Yaten's standing up with a pencil in his mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, you know, you know what, what what what's crazy? And Kyoto, you're so right, dude. It's like we have to be able to just do what we got to do, right? Like. In other words, if it fucking hurts, it hurts. I mean, it, it's just got to be that way. Yeah. I mean, because mm -hmm. if we don't, then then we're the one that gets the heat. You know what I mean? No, you're right. Exactly. I, I've been going around the world on different podcasts telling people the hardest bump I've ever took was by, you know, The Undertaker. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, recently, Josh Matthews, I mean, Josh, not Matt, Jesus Christ, Josh Alexander. Alexander. Mm -hmm. Josh Josh Matthews couldn't give me a bump like that, but anyway, um, <laughs> Josh Matthews, Alexander, my fucking no, clock, Alexander, <laughs> Alexander, Matthews works in the TV truck now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'll clean his clock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Josh Alexander cleaned my clock. I mean, right? I mean, it was just, and I told him, and I, yeah. I'm like you. I told him. I said, just bring it, dude. Just bring yeah. it. Dude. It was yeah. a big event, and, and and guess what? You know that shit takes tolls on us, man. You know, yeah. and yeah. it's it's no. crazy how we just are able to just say to ourselves, "We give our bodies up to you, fuck us up if you want to," but you know, yeah. we'll, we'll figure it out mm -hmm. tomorrow. But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, because you know, all the crazy shit that they do to each other, and, and if you got a bitch about one bump, how would you feel? Like you're not part of the mm -hmm. team, like you know, what are you gonna say? I'm not taking that bump. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, yeah. when you get done rock hitting fucking Mick Foley over the head at a steel chair 13 times or something, 11 times. With, and I mean, he bought those shots every fucking time or Mick Foley going through the cage or off the cage, hell in the cell. Mm -hmm. and you're going to turn around the whole bit. 
Yeah. I'm not going to take that super kick or I'm not going to, I've heard some referees say in the last so many years, I've heard a referee say, I'm not taking that bump. I'm like, I'd like, oh, I like okay. The, You're ribbing, like right? Who that is. Let's, and he's let's still there. Him. And he's still there. <laughs> no way. Oh yeah. Who is yeah. it? Amazing. Uh, you know, I don't want to bury the kid. It's kind of, it's, yeah, I hear you. It's, it, it's kind of like uh, with referees out there who have a tell on false finishes. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, everybody says, "What? What? What are they?" And somebody, I, no, I'm not going to say it because then people will. Uh, I've told these guys a story at, at WrestleMania, at, not WrestleMania, at, at SummerSlam here, 2019. Uh, the producer of the show we used to do up here called Aftermath. We were watching a match in the ring, and he thought that a bunch of false finishes were the finish. He says, "Boy, they got me there," and I was like, "No, no." And he yeah. says, "How do you know it's not the finish?" You know, I said, "No, I don't know what the finish is, but I could tell because the referee has a tell." He says, what's the tell? And I said, I don't want to tell you. He says, oh, come on. He's the producer of our show. I said, okay. So I told him. He says, I can't unsee it now. Yeah, yeah. That's why I don't. I'd like, I'd like to know. I'd like to know who that pussy fucking was that didn't fucking want to take a bump. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was I amazing. Would, when we go off the air, you're telling us. <laughs> but, and what's what's even fucking worse is when I, when I took that bump not too long after that, I took that same bump, I tore my rotator cuff. And then I get fired six months later. <laughs> I got surgery. And I get, I'm like thinking, motherfucker, should I have said, don't take that fucking bump? <laughs> I said, crazy. To myself. You got to be. Are you being dead serious me. right now? I'm dead serious. Yeah. I, yeah. When I moved, because in 2019. What was the bump? What was, all right, hold on. Hold on. What was the bump? It was, do you want to be, the referee goes down to count one, two, you put your feet out to the ropes and you fucking you get pulled out to the, to the floor. That's all, right. That's all it is. Down- Times. Yeah, done a thousand yeah. times. You usually yeah. take a belly bump, but right. I didn't take a belly bump. I got twisted up the way he pulled me, twisted up, and I landed on my shoulder. But then I kept working for another month or two, and I did two gauntlet matches, like the what week or two following. And I knew I had I had pain, which I went to the trainers and all that, a little bit of soreness. Right. They said, "Ah, oh, you just tweaked it and this and that," but I actually tore some things, my bicep or something else. And no, I tore my my lum- labrum. And then tore like, my uh, rotator legal. cuff. Mm-hmm. And then weeks later, with the gauntlet matches, the hour-long matches, I tore two biceps oh, in the same wow. one. So in the same, you know. Uh, so that's who, and then I had to get surgery with Dugas in Alabama okay. and all that. Wow, so, that's, that's horrible, bro. And I know you don't want to give out names, but can you at least tell us if uh, he wears an extra schmedium ref shirt? It's tight. Yes. <laughs> it's real tight. That's a good just, way to just had a just had a feeling. That's all. And I, oh, I love I, the kid. I love him. I see him here in Tampa a lot too. So I, I don't need to know. I'll just say yeah. this, pussy. Jimmy knows. Jimmy knows. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. Yep. It's extra tight. Um I, you know, and my thing is too, Jimmy, and, and especially with you know, you growing up in the business in, in the eighties and nineties, Brian. Um, I don't know how wrestlers did their character so well and how, how they became such great, phenomenal workers with all the talent that we've been through because there was no fucking training. I mean, there was the dungeon, okay? There was the dungeon. There were some other training facilities that a lot of guys have went through, which was phenomenal. But to me, it was just like these guys were born with fucking character, born with this. I mean, the way they did their character they didn't you didn't have to rehearse Shawn Michaels being Shawn Michaels going out to the fucking ring you didn't have to rehearse 
Hulk Hogan or rehearse this one or rehearse this 10 times. These days, you got to rehearse all this talent. I just don't know what it is. Like, a lot of this talent just knew everything. I mean, now you guys got going to school for six months to a year. Some guys are in school for two or three, four years. I just didn't know. I, it always amazed me how in the 80s and 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, where these guys that came into the business were just fucking born talent. And especially, the, you know, and you understand when the guys that came from the second or third generation because they grew up with it with their father being a wrestler or their brother or somebody. But those guys back then, a lot of guys were not second generation wrestlers, you know? No. You're right. It amazed me. Mm-hmm. So, so let last you to close up shop here tonight, Mike. Thank you so much for you know taking time out of your busy schedule for for the show today. Yeah, um, it was a pleasure, man. Thank obviously, you, you got you got your show over there on ad free shows. Just plug everything you got coming up. Uh, ways people can get a hold of you and uh, whatnot. Yeah, I got the beach coming up next week. That's it. No, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> nothing wrong with you that. Catch, <laughs> you can catch the Monday mailbag uh, every other week. You know, on ad free shows. Uh, with Paulie B and Mike C, you know, Paulie, Paul Brownwell does a great job for me. He's helped me out tremendously doing podcasts because I was so green to the podcast, cod, you know, podcast industry. Um, it's worked out pretty well for two and a half years now with me with Ad Free and Conrad Thompson. Um, my Twitter's at, at you know, at MJC Kyoto. Um, just getting back on Facebook and Twitter. I'll be coming out with my new website, uh, MikeKyoto.com. That's that's going to be releasing within the next uh, few weeks to a month, and um, got some action figures coming out by Figure Collections that they should be on the way in another month or two, and um, just got some you know got some signings and just get keeping busy and just doing my thing. That's it, and awesome. I will be at the beach next week too. <laughs> Even more awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Got to work man. on that ten, bro. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm a little pal right now. I'm just taking a wife. We were supposed to go for a birthday. Uh, we got back from Houston um, for a birthday, to, but I postponed it to uh, next Monday. So taking off to Amelia Island in Florida for about four days, five days. That's awesome. Um, and um, I do, I do want to put out this. Um, you designed a beautiful, beautiful wrestling shirt for me. Oh, yeah. Was, you like it? I do like it a lot. And then um, there was pictures and things that were posted. It was awesome. Got it was cool. awesome. And that was it was totally you, and I did pay you, motherfucker. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and Brian, like, uh, you know, and Jimmy, I think, you know, if you're ever doing any events out there, you know, like, uh, there's a woman that makes my patches, man. She makes the stitched on patches. Like, she does a phenomenal job, and, I, you know, I'm getting them all made up for my website. Um, you know, they're going to be uh, the MC patch on the shoulders, on the, you know, sleeves. Uh, and then, you know, of course, the chest, it's the MC patch in, in a raw color. And then there'll be the MC patches in the SmackDown colors. Um, you know, I'll be selling them on my uh, website coming up soon. And, uh, you know, I mean, those patches are pretty cool. I mean, we can't really do anything else besides unless you're working for a company at NWA or, you know, TNA or somebody or whatever. So, but, um, yeah, that's that's another thing, man, with the shirts. AEW's got to come up with some new shirts. Kyoto, real quick, do you, do you ever watch Impact Wrestling? Yes, I do watch it once in a while. Yes. Do you? Yep. I, I, sure I, do. I actually think that they, in my opinion, have 
more quality refereeing going on than yeah. the major. Yeah. And who's the guy with the sleeves? He wears uh, uh, Daniel Spencer. He's pretty good, too. He's pretty good. Well, I trained him. Okay. That's that's why. That's awesome. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I trained mm-hmm. him, and uh, he's doing well. He's still doing things. I text him all the time. I'm like, dude, stop doing this. Stop doing that. You know what oh, I mean? Like, right, right, right. It never no, stops. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. Any other questions, RJ? No, we're good to go. Unless no Jimmy's has something. Yeah, Jimmy, no, what you got? No, I did, this is great. Uh, and you know what? If I do have any questions, we'll save them for another time because it'd be great having you back on, Mikey. Yeah. This, this was oh, awesome. I would love to be back on, guys. You know, maybe one night we could just, uh, sit and watch maybe an AEW show or WWE, maybe just uh, critique these refs, man. It would be nice to do a live wow. podcast. That would be mm-hmm. a long show. Yeah. <laughs> well. We we wouldn't get we wouldn't get to the next match. Well, uh, yeah, maybe we could record it now. We should do it live, but I mean, I'd be <laughs> we're doing a watch along. I think that watch along. Yeah. yeah, it's like a watch along. Do a yeah, watch along. Yeah. Critique it, man. You know. There you go. I mean, hey, if fucking Peyton Manning and his brother Eli Manning can do one <laughs> on Monday Night uh, Football, I'm sure we could do AEW or WWE one night. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. There you go. Awesome. Hey, Kyoto. We had Kyoto. We had the longest reffing rant, or that's. I'm sorry. Reffing review. Was, no, uh, well, I'm trying to put Jimmy over too. Relax. Well, we can put Jimmy over too. Come on. I'm going to fire you. Okay. <laughs> but we had the longest reffing review that we've ever had, and I'm only one, two, three, four, five. I'm five beers in. <laughs> Yeah, not well, good. I think that I'm I think that's time. a record too, uh, Brian. Here, go, here goes number six. Well, I'm gonna go there hit my go. vodka and tonic here in a little bit. That's for there sure. you go, there brother. You go. <laughs> I hear you, go, brother. That's it, but man. No, uh, hey, guys, I'd love to do something else with you guys, man. It'd be great, Jimmy. You know, Brian, RJ. You know, if we could do come up with something where we could do a, a watch along or something where we can have some fun and lit a we'll rip, it up, man. We definitely will. Fuck yeah. it. And I, I mean, hey. I think we could do a definitely a part two. I mean, I definitely do. Um, no great. doubt. I mean, we got we got so many stories, man. Mm. I mean, you yeah. think about what we what we what we said tonight is amazing, right? I mean, like Jimmy, you and me doing all so these many, major we got, events. We, we got so many more wow. stories and so many more oh, things to go over. Um, it's yeah. it's just hard to fit all the years that we spend in the business to fit it in one or two hours, even in a show. You know, it's just hard to yeah. fit. Absolutely. You know, some guys say, "Well, you do my." podcast it's 30 minutes long i want to talk about your career i said well you fucking ain't gonna talk about my career in 30 fucking minutes <laughs> <laughs> something else <laughs> right you know but um it's hard to get a lot of stuff in man mm-hmm. there's though there's always like i'll 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 probably come off these headsets in a minute here or two and go fuck i wish we would have talked about that fuck i wish we would have talked about that yeah yes yeah. i do that all the time so yep. i do that all the time and you know it's weird because you know just think about all the days and all the years we were on the road, right? I always, I always think to myself, the one thing I want to fucking know is how much can a brain actually remember? How much can your brain actually fucking store and remember all the shit that we've done? Mm-hmm. You know, because people come up to me and say, hey, remember this Europe tour when you did this and you did that? And I'm like, fuck, no, I don't remember that. Oh, you're mm-hmm. fucking fucking, you were too much. You did this and did that. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh fuck! All right, we'll just keep that all social well, media. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, the only way you can do that is if you're a woman. 
Women remember everything. <laughs> everything. Right. Everything. They, they do. They do. Yeah. They do. We can, can't you, remember shit. You can they do a everything. thousand things good, but if you do one fucking thing wrong, they remember that the most. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. <laughs> K brother. Jimmy, how is your wife, by the way? <laughs> She's good. She's good. It's the That's truth. Awesome. It's awesome. I, how many years have you been married be now? Honest, uh, since 99, September 99. So God bless. Uh, we're good for you. we're, we're going right. up on 24 this year. And uh, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I owe kick my coverage. Right, all right, man. That's awesome, man. That's that's all the best of luck and good health to you and your marriage, man. For the rest well, thank of you, buddy. It's awesome to hear that. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mike. We really do appreciate it. And we'll definitely uh, we'll be in touch, definitely, to get you on again. Do maybe to watch along or something. Sounds good, man. You got it. Thank you, RJ. Awesome. Brian, thank you. thank you, brother. One love, Jimmy. One love, man. You thank got you, it. Bro. Love you, bro. All right, man. <laughs> <laughs>